this end. See you on the lift. Back attack, dude. Fun for you! Hey, your homie's good. Slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. All right, welcome back to the show. We got a great episode today. Uh, but first things first, uh, Jones, how are we feeling? I'm feeling pretty good, Chris. I'm excited. Happy that you're in the booth. Always got to shout out Silk, Silk D on the producing side of things. Silk, what's going on? Doing great. Another day. Uh, the bomb hole is presented by Pub Beer and Run Through a Wall Smelling Salts. And the man of the hour, we have Travis Pastrana in the booth. Travis, what's going on? Nothing much, guys. How y'all doing? We're doing great. What, what brings you out to these parts? Well, this is where Nitro Circus started. Now we got Nitro Cross. So at the end of the day, we just like to fly things here in Utah. It's a state of sport, you know. Mm-hmm. So what's what's the like deal with the event? I saw you guys got like a 130-foot kicker. Thing looks aggressive. It, it is aggressive. It's actually, you can see a lot of grown men cry if you come out to watch the practice runs. Um, last time we had, we called him, we were like, don't NASCAR it. We had uh, Steve Arpin came up. And he went around it like 50 times. We're like, dude, we're running out of daylight. Like, you, you got to jump the jump. So we finally, he's like, all right, I'm in this time. Comes around the corner. And you, we have it so it, you can't really, you can go too far, especially now with the e-cars. They're 1,000 horsepower. But it's really tough to make out of the corner just so that people don't go get scared and go like 300 feet, you know, because our cars go zero to 60 in at 1.2 seconds. And you can be, wow. you know, pretty much at 200 miles an hour like that. Um, which would be way too far if you've ever hit a jump at 200. Um, I never have, but I, never have. I, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, so this guy, Steve Harpin, <laughs> NASCAR, comes out. He made a right-hand turn before the jump. He was a little discombobulated. Got all the way to the takeoff, and he still wasn't quite at his speed at the bottom, and he panicked, locked the brakes up in full Wiley Coyote in the Roadrunner. He was pivoting, like, cartoon style. No. Like, yeah, and it's cool because it's a three-story. It's a triple cross. So we have the bottom lane goes under. The middle lane jumps over the bottom lane, and the top lane, that's 130 foot, 130 the sweet spot. We're talking 96 gap-wise, um, and it flies over both the other lanes. Wow. And is that bigger this year than ever before? No. Or has so this been the size for a minute? This is the size, but now instead of 650 horsepower supercars, um, we have 1,000 horsepower electric cars with another 100 horsepower boost. They call it push-to-pass in like F1, if you watch any of that racing. We really can't use it because from 1,000 to 1,100, you just spin tires. Mm. Um, but it's cool because it's the first form of racing I've ever been in where it's not like, okay, who's got the fastest car? It's no one can use all the power they have. And if you do, you're flipping. Wow. Um, so it's, it's been fun. What I'm, what I'm wondering is who guineas the jump? That's me. <laughs> so, but ironically, so uh, last night I jumped on Greg Godfrey's old uh, Baja Beater 450. And I hit the, so we put a little jump before it which we never did before, just to slow down the e-cars even more. And wow. I'm like, man. So I just like did my best impression of like James Stewart and like scrubbed the jump. And I was on the gas, and I'm like, this is a dog. This is the biggest turd of a 450. <laughs> and I had to get to – the goal was like 72, but I had already – like I didn't want a NASCAR, like Arpin, and, and like because I'm on a dirt bike, I'm going to drop four stories to bad. So I stayed on the gas, and I – 
popped it as hard as I could off the lip. And I'm like, I'm still short. And all I had was tennis shoes on. I, I had my, oh, dear. I had a, you know, my helmet, my uh, f- full face, like rally helmet with the, you know, the thing dangling off the side. Oh, eyes are down. Yeah. I was actually in this shirt. Yeah. Shorts. It was, it was Jeez. perfect and came up short, bounced down the landing, just about broke my ankles. I was like, thanks God for your bike sucks. Jesus, man. Out of your mind. What about the, the electric cars? Like I so used to the horsepower and the rev limiter bouncing off the, uh, you know, spiking and everything. Like, how is it with like the? It's like the zzz, right? Like, or, or is it sound? Do they sound pretty badass though? No, they they sound lame as as can be. But it's a thousand horsepower. So like, you know, at the end of the day, I come from a very redneck family. Yes. Uh, everyone's drag racing, uh, power. You know, it's like Tim Toolman Taylor. You know, har, 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 har. <laughs> let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, but these vehicles are so much faster. And it's where all the manufacturers and all the sponsorship and all the support. And I get so much crap. They're like, why are you supporting, you know, that, that lame stuff? I'm like, lame? Like, dude, I'm in a spaceship trying to figure mm-hmm. out how not to, like, fly this thing to the moon and to set up the jumps where we have everything from, you know, Class 11 bug racing. Uh, Cowboy Cerrone from UFC is coming out to jump in that. Um, we've got the Van Prix. So $1,000 and under crappy vans. Now, around Utah, there's a lot of vans, and there's probably all kinds of big vans, and you know, the, you got the Mavs out there, so it's going to be pretty fun. Um, you know, and that's just a, just a cluster of people trying to jump. And the cool part about the newer vans is they have a lot of airbags, so everyone thinks they take out all the airbags, but the first jump that no one in the van ever makes, they just like, it sounds like gunfire going off because they're just getting hit in the shins and the side and the, the back of the head. They're like, where are these airbags coming from? You're and then camera inside of those things. Oh yeah. It's great. Yeah. No, it's amazing. But so we keep a little bit of the nitro circus oh, feel yeah. to yeah. nitro cross, which is, I mean, we've had Kyle Bush who's multiple time cup champion and uh, chase Elliott, uh, you know, cup champion as well. We had F1 champion come out. Now the coolest part about the F1 guy, Jensen button. Awesome dude came out. He's like, this is going to be so fun. I can't wait to fly a car. He made it two laps in practice going around the big gap jump in, um, in California. And by the time we finished practice, he was in his rental car heading back to his private jet. He he didn't hit the jump. He's like, man, it looks it looks smaller on TV. <laughs> <laughs> man, wow! Uh, I love how you know racing is like this big buttoned up like factory team. Like you know, people are so serious. It's always good to have that lighthearted approach to to racing and keeping it fun. So, the interesting part about Nitro Cross is I was racing NASCAR, and honestly, not a rear wheel drive guy, not a pavement guy, but I was. I was having fun, but I'm competitive like you guys are. And I, I was just crashing almost every race because if someone's faster, like, I don't know. I, I'm like, if they're driving faster, I can drive faster. And then I'd, you know, smash off the wall. So I actually, I got 10th at Daytona a few years back, spinning backwards across the infield um, as another car is like flipping over me. And, you know, I was about to cry. I was like, dad, I'm going to get fired. I crashed like every race. He's like, son, I would give my left nut to be able to go 180 miles an hour backwards through the infield at Daytona. <laughs> He's like, what are you, this is awesome. And it made me think, I'm like, why do I ride dirt bikes? Why BMX? Like, I just want to hang with my friends, push ourselves and do stuff that that's fun. And that's why we started nitro cross the, the tracks. Are, we have snow tracks. We have all pavement tracks. We have all dirt tracks, huge jumps. Like, honestly, the guys are kind of scared shitless when they get out there, to be quite frank. Um, but it's that 98% excited and 2% scared, or maybe the opposite way around, That's uh, that makes it more fun than, like, the NASCAR guys. The racing is great. Um, it's super fun. It's a competitive sport, and the competition is what makes anything fun, really. But when they go out and drive the cars at 200 miles an hour, there's no, like, they don't 
think, oh, this is going to be a fun day. They're like, oh, well, I got to find a half of a quarter of a tenth of a second mm. out there or, you know, I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. And Nitrocross, everyone gets off the track and practice by themselves with the biggest smile. And we all go even to our biggest competitors and we're like high five and oh my God, you almost flipped there. You did this. And I'm like, it brings it back to me being a kid yeah. riding my dirt bike, just going and finding jumps in the hills, you know? Oh, that's you love to see it. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to change gears here for a second because this is, this is generally a snowboard podcast, right? And, and I haven't seen you on snowboards a lot. But <laughs> one, I one day. I do remember seeing <laughs> one time you only. at the DC Mountain Lab uh, attempting a backflip. And I, w- I would love to hear you kind of walk us through that experience. <laughs> uh, so I snowboarded, actually, I snowboarded one time um, when I was 10. Um, and I'd, I'd been skiing like once before that, but we'd always ridden motorcycles. That was kind of our, our thing in the family. Even when it was snowing, we'd just ride dirt bikes. And uh, I didn't have a great experience. Uh, East Coast, It was my mm-hmm. tailbone was really sore. I pretty much, my dad kicked my butt. He's like, you're, you're crying. You're supposed to be having fun. <laughs> like, it hurts. Um, so then I blew up my ACL when I was 11 and didn't get it fixed until I was 13. And then I broke my back when I was 14. And then I turned pro in motocross and... Didn't then I broke everything else and really hadn't had a chance to do anything in the winter um, until I saw you guys with Ken Block at the DC Mountain Lab, and I tried to go down the hill and I was just like I I don't do anything sideways. My wife Lindsay skates snow mm. like she loves everything surf sideways. I, I just it just doesn't compute in my head for whatever reason. So there was a not a big jump, but it was big for me, jump at the bottom. And I thought, all right, I'm going to backflip. They're like, you can't snowboard. I'm like, I know I can't, but if I can get in the air, I can backflip. So it took me half the day to get enough speed where I actually went off the jump without just slamming on the face. And I took off, and I was like, yes, I'm in the air. And I did a perfect backflip, but I put both of my feet straight and just about <laughs> bust out all my teeth on the landing. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. Hot cocoa and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call that a scorpion in snowboard. I don't know if you guys use that in moto. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with that term? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. 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 I re- there's some quote I thought you said like I backflipped the damn lawnmower for Christ's sakes or something, and then you're like, yeah. well, everyone was making fun of me. I'm, I always say everything flips. They're yeah. like, well, can you flip a snowboard? I'm like, if I can get in the air, <laughs> sure. You're like if just I can in the, in the video, he's like, if I can just make it to the ramp, I can do a flip. <laughs> <laughs> Which we don't call it a ramp in snowboarding, which is also amazing in its own right. Sorry, my bad. All good. So no I, bad. I, I, I really think, uh, you know, your upbringing is really interesting. Is you know, come from a military family and stuff, and just the ideals that he kind of instilled on you. I'd love to hear you kind of elaborate on that. <laughs> um, no, my dad was a, like, you know, was a drill sergeant in the Marine Corps, and they say once Marine, always Marine, and... Um, you know, my uncle was quarterback for Denver Broncos. All my uh, cousins were Division One uh, wrestling, rugby, football. Um, I was the runt of the family. I realized really quickly that I was extremely durable because I got beat to crap all the time. I was kind of the youngest mm-hmm. cousin of the group. Um, and they all loved motors. They all loved that kind of stuff. And I realized that flipping off of high bridges into the water in the summer, riding anything with a motor – I didn't have to be stronger than all of my uncles and cousins. I could simply be crazier. And because I realized I was extremely durable and I get like really giddy when I get scared and time slows down. And it's like this blessing in disguise. It's a, it's a two edged sword because I enjoy that feeling. I enjoy pushing myself to the point where you're like, Oh, this is, this is bad. And then you got to figure out like, okay, if I do this, I'll break an ankle, but if I don't, I'll break my back. And if I do that, they're all bad decisions, but those moments, like, I don't know. It just it just makes you feel alive. So um, 
I, I found my calling with, with motorcycles because I didn't have to be stronger. I just twisted the throttle more. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, uh, we happen to have a, a guest question from uh, Davey Coombs. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is Davey. I grew up racing back east, actually, West Virginia. And uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm dreaming this, but tell me I'm wrong. I was at a track called Big Berm, which is in Maryland. And there was this little kid on RM80. And he was the only one hucking this huge double that even the... 100cc expert class wasn't raised jumping. But what's crazy is, I think the kid had a Wiley E. Coyote stuffed animal attached to his chest protector. Am I, am I dreaming this, or was that, was that like a young Travis Estrana? Yeah, so <laughs> D- Davey's awesome. He uh, runs all the moto, moto stuff. But um, So I used, uh, well, Wiley Coyote. Was, everyone said I was like Wiley Coyote, because even as a kid, I pretty much strapped myself to every rocket that I could find and hucked myself. And for some reason, I had this amazing gift of always just being able to get back up. Like, I would just ragdoll myself and still come back and, like, win the race. Handlebars bent, clutch levers off, and I'd be laughing when I got done. I'm like, did you see that send? So I was the one that always had banners in my tire because if I couldn't do the jumps from the track boundaries during the race, winning, losing, didn't matter, like – I'd find the biggest jump that I could possibly do, and I would figure out a way to go through the crowd or go through the fence or hop over something, cut the track to hit the biggest jump. Um, kind of frowned upon, actually. My parents kind of took a lot of crap, and uh, because my dad's brother was, you know, quarterback for Denver Broncos and everything, he's like, "Look, you'll never make a dime doing what you love." He was the best athlete maybe that ever came out of Maryland, definitely our hometown. And he still works uh, community college all year and works construction with us in the summer. And like, But every day that you can do what you love to do, do it. And they always encouraged me to kind of follow my, my dream because, you know, my uncle got – he got beat up a lot. He, uh, his knees were shot. His shoulders were shot. They, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, they weren't, weren't easy on, uh, on the, the NFL players. They didn't know a lot about health stuff. So a lot of concussions and whatnot. Um, but he said, look, my uncle always said, man, if I had a chance to go back and do it all over again, he goes ah. – I'd pay every dime to be able to live that experience again. And I feel like that's what my mentality was from my parents was always send it, be tough. And, uh, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. So not to get off subject there, but there was at a national championship, Ponca city, there was a 110 foot jump. And just the way it came out of the corner, Kevin Wyndham was the only one doing it. And he wasn't doing it on his 125. He was only doing it on the 250 class, but I had a super mini 112 CCs and, you know, I'm in the 7-Eleven class, so I'm really, really light. I'm like, well, I don't care if any of the pros can't do this on a 125. My power to weight's got it. So I told my hero at the time, Guy Cooper, I was like, hey, Guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump this, this jump. He's like, there's no way. I was like, dude, I'm going to do it. And I got there in the first lap practice. I was like, oh, it won't work. It, it's not going to make it. And I saw Guy Cooper on the next to last lap watching my practice. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, it's going to suck. And I launched it, and I landed short right about where I thought I was going to land, about, a, about 100 and, 102 feet of the 110, kind of on the face. And it was great because the motorcycle, the, the frame cracked, the forks bent, the front wheel completely imploded itself. So I had all this extra suspension, except for eventually it broke and my face hit the ground. I had two black eyes, and I got up, and Guy Cooper was standing there, both hands in the air. I was like... Found my calling. <laughs> this, is, this was so good. My dad was really pissed because we spent like every dime we had to get there. And then I, 
my race bike was, was you know, Wiley Cody's uh, rocket. <laughs> Made a mark, though. Yeah. 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 A couple. <laughs> and, like, just to jump back real quick to the that almost acceptance in your family, like, you you came from that that space and call, you called yourself the runt. I'm just, I'm curious when, I mean, it sounds like the support was always there, but when did they kind of roll and stop the beat downs and they're like, never, Travis is our guy, <laughs> never, Still. respect. <laughs> uh, well, there it is. No, I mean, that's, that's the fun part though. Tell it's, the it's, end. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it was, the family was always super supportive. Um, even my mom's side was more like, make sure you get the education and that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. you know, my dad still, he's like, you know, oh, you just bought a, or built a trampoline. It's the world's biggest trampoline. Guy set a world record, 48 feet over the top of it. I actually backflipped a dirt bike underneath the guy that was getting double bounced on a trampoline. Um, and my dad just came down, he looked at it, and we, we had his, also like a, a big swing with uh, Nate Wessel and put a, a paraglider motor basically on our back on a seat, and then we were going around, and we all, anyway, it all went horribly wrong. And that's like, you're, you guys never grew up. He goes, except your trampolines got bigger and your swings got dumber. <laughs> Just, yeah, build the toys to meet the, meet the human. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And kids got to figure it out. We, we just got to fuck it up as we get older. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like they're just doing it. They're having fun. And then we try to, oh, I got to do my important job and I got to go do my important stuff and my bills. And it's like, my reality never set in. Yeah. I've been very yeah. fortunate that way. Grow up and keep growing. Yeah. Right? That's it. Well, Bigger jumps. Going back to your um, motocross career, you know, I thought there's a really interesting story about uh, how you got hurt and you were signing your first kind of contracts and then you got an offer from Fox or something like that. I want to kind of hear you explain <laughs> that one. That's probably not a good one. Uh, I don't know. Like my dad, uh, you know, he made, uh, you know, 50000 a year. My mom was right around the same as, as so my dad was construction. My mom was flight attendant. My um, all my uncles, they all work construction, family construction, just small, small time stuff, uh, basement waterproofing, driveway, stone repair, little concrete curbing stuff. Um, and they'd all take pay cuts basically to, to get gas money for us to get to like Loretta Lynn's. And then that guy, Davey Coombs, uh, Jeff Cernick, we had a great group around us of people that, that helped make sure that I, for that one race, I'd always have a new bike for like the national championships and stuff. And, um, you know, was, was really cool. But, uh, yeah, maybe blame it on concussions. What was the question? Uh, basically, <laughs> just I guess the arc of your career when you first got signed in a wheelchair. Ah, uh, yeah. Stuff. No, sorry. So yeah. Anyway, um, so any money was was going to be good. Like my dad, when we first went to X Games, he's like, "Okay, I can take off work. We can go across. We can uh, have one of one of our friends." drive for free across the country. We can pay him like gas money basically to go out. We'll do mammoth mountain motocross. Um, so that way we can say it's for Suzuki and maybe they'll help us with some Suzuki bucks so we can pay for some gas. And then X games, what's last place get? Cause it was the first year we were invited. He's like, all right, last place is $1,500. He goes, we can, we can make this work. All right, let's go. And then, <laughs> so I, I jumped my motorcycle into the San Francisco Bay and they take the, the prize money. And he's oh, like, no. shit, <laughs> how the hell are we getting back? So, uh, so it was funny because, uh, you know, Pete Fox was like, okay, well, we, we can't pay you because you're still an amateur. Um, but everybody else was getting paid. And he's like, man, it would be really good if you could like, he's like, well, well, we'll cover this and that. And that was really good. They got us back home, which was super nice. Um, but, you know, I, I broke my back um, basically right when I was signing my pro contract. And I had been hurt a lot. I had blown out ACL the year before. I hadn't proven myself in anything. And uh, Jeff Sirwall from No Fear comes off and he's like, 
$60,000. He's like, I'm going to sign you for $60,000. And my dad was like, holy shit. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a year's, year's set. That's just for gear? Yeah, this is going to be great. And Suzuki came through. No one else came through. And Suzuki said, okay, we'll put you on the factory bike. Um, we'll give you first through 10th uh, winning you know, bonuses. My dad said, nope, he's getting 10th. He doesn't deserve shit. <laughs> said, put it all on first place. And, uh, you know, let's do podium just, just to make sure. And they're like, Suzuki's like, sure. This kid has been hurt. He's in a wheelchair right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll put all that on, on first place. We got, like, you know, no money from Suzuki, but, like, a really high, like, first place. I'm, I'm making money. They're like, sure, if you're doing that, great. Um, so I get out of my wheelchair, um, make it through this area qualifiers and the regional qualifiers, just kind of literally limping through, make it to Loretta Lynn's Amateur National Championship, and I win five of six motos. Um, and the other moto I crashed in the start, like full end for end cartwheel and came back to and came back to third, like against the, the best, the guys that have been riding and everything. So Pete Fox comes up and he's like, Hey, you know, and they did I I love Fox. I love the Fox brothers and everything, but there was probably a way around to help us, you know, when they were paying everybody else. So my dad is a principal kind of guy. He uh, <laughs> he's like, All right, we'll 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 see what you have to offer. And he, and Pete Flew us out first class. Oh, it was nice, man. And we sit down, and he's like, hey, signing bonus, what car do you want? I was like, oh, I want a Dodge Viper. My dad's like, that's a stupid idea. And it turns out two years later, I got a fast car, and it was a stupid idea. He was totally right. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's a different story. Um, so Pete Fox is like, you know, it was triple or quadruple what no fear asked. And my dad goes, my son's not worth half that much. Dude. And Pete goes, well, we, we could offer less. He's like, nah, you could have offered less when you actually believed in my kid when he was hurt. We know what kind of person you are. We'll see you later, Pete. And no mom and I were way. sitting there and we're like, well, that was stupid. We could really like we got we had three mortgages on the house. My dad had a, you know, had a Harley and the family had a boat before I started racing. We had no he had no Harley. We had no boat. There was everything, all my uncles, everybody taking pay cuts to get me there. And he's turning down like $150,000. From a guy that supported me my whole life, I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Nope, should have believed in you when you were hurt." Now everyone wants a piece of you. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then I went out and I won. Yeah, so yeah. kind of. Kind but that's of. just the kind of <laughs> asshole my dad is. He's he's great. I love yeah. love my dad. Integrity, I feel like. So yeah. later that year, we went one like ended up winning uh, three Supercrosses that year. Uh, won the Outdoor National Championship. Uh, won Motocross of Nations, and he went and. I was 16 years old, the youngest person to ever win the outdoor championship. And dad, all the people that believed in me, all the Suzuki guys, he gave away three quarters of my bonus to mechanics and the, the people that, and you know, just the people that really helped get us there. And you know, the, the family got them new Bobcat and this kind of stuff. And I was like, dad, what are you doing? He said, look, the people that get you there are so much more valuable. He said, this was, this was free money. He's not, you know, nothing's free. It's hard work, but he goes, you're 16 years old. He said, so many people sacrifice so much. He goes, you know, when you're 18, you can make the decisions on your own. He goes, this is an opportunity for you that if anything happens in the future, they're going to say, you know what? That, that guy appreciated me. That guy respected me. And I've made a career in this sport because of the foundations and the friendships that my mom and dad built for me from an amateur all the way through to today. That's beautiful. Dude, that's unreal. So There's good. nobody... It'd be that generous in that situation. That's really that's some special stuff. Wow. No, it's it's that's been the real shit. Yeah. No, I've been very very fortunate, and family, you know, supports you through. You know, I broke my back, and 
my mom's like, oh, you sure this is what you want to do and whatnot? And said, yes. And like, all right, well, let's, let's get you back going. And, you know, they got me a, you know, a, a wheelchair that was better. So, and my dad was, he'd go running with me every day. And at first, you know, you're starting at 20 minute miles, just trying to get around. And then, you know, eventually you're at seven minute miles in a wheelchair before you're getting out of that stuff. And well, that injury, was uh, that the one where you cased and you broke your pelvis and all that? What, what was that crash? That was a gnarly one, right? Yeah, I just didn't go fast enough. <laughs> yeah. When, t- t- walk us through that crash and the recovery, because that one seemed like it was sketchy. Um, probably saved my life after this, this last one. So shooting for Jim Connor, yep. um, shattered pelvis, but everything was fused together. So luckily it, it kind of kept me from bleeding out. Um, but yeah, so I was I had 15th birthday, um, trying to jump, came from again, not within the stadium, went outside of the stadium. I was like, I got this and hit the jump, came up way short and just passed out. Didn't hit my head, but passed out. So I learned from that crash that I can only take so much pain. So there's not really anything else to fear. Yeah, it sucked. It was horrible. But if your body is in too much pain to deal with, it just shuts down. So I pretty much just kept waking up and passing out, waking up and passing out, and had a stomach full of two-thirds of my blood volume over the, the next week, and then woke up after surgery. And uh, Joel Mata, a doctor in uh, California, put me back together. I was like, shit, I'm in a different state. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then uh, my uncle, uh, the Uncle Alan, who played for uh, for Denver, he's, you know, taught health and, and PE at, and football, obviously, at and lacrosse at uh, community college. And he had me in the senior citizens classes that he did, um, getting core strength back up and everything. for. And it's cool. That whole family just really always came together and helped me to just uh, learn from every mistake and try to do better the next time. Man. Heavy. Yeah, I love it. Heavy. Well, we got a guest question from <laughs> uh, Todd Richards. Here we go. Mm. Hey, what's up, Bombhole? Todd Richards, I got a question for Travis Pastrana. Hey, buddy, I got a question about, you know, you are well known throughout the action sports industry as being the ultimate instigator slash motivator. And you've coined the phrase, you got this. And you have this way of bringing out something in people that maybe they didn't think they could possibly do or, you know, they just access something that you see that maybe they don't. And I just, I, the question I have for you is, is this something that was taught to you? Were there older guys that kind of, you know, would tell you, you've got this? Or is this something that you drummed up uh, yourself to basically either A, amuse yourself as you watch <laughs> your friends just cartwheel through the dirt or whatever it is that you have set up for them? Or is this really, you know, some kind of next level motivational speak that really does get people to tap into something that they they don't know about and i mean i've experienced it with you and it is a crazy thing just just talk about that for a second because i think it's really really impressive uh best of luck to you you know with the whole nitro rally cross it's the coolest thing ever um it's amazing travis pastrana you're my hero thanks guys wow dude coming from todd that's that's cool. I'm going to reflect on that for a second. That was, dude, he's uh, been someone I've looked up to for a long time and helped us out a lot with, with Nitro World Games, uh, getting that off the ground, and just an awesome all-around guy. Um, but I think, so I was always tall for my age, and most of my friends were a few years older than I was. Um, all my cousins were stronger than I was, so I always had to kind of keep telling myself, like, you got this, you can do it, and kind of thinking the consequences through Um I think one thing that my dad had always instilled in me was not like, these are the rules, but 
why are the rules there? Know every know why every rule is there before you break any. And if someone says you can't do it, think about it. Like, is it you can't because of a law or rule? Why is that rule there? And are you going to get hurt or you're not going to get hurt? What do you know that they don't know? This is not a great thing to ever teach your kids, but <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but the reason that it is so relevant today is that when I go out there and now even teaching my kids, like, you know, my daughter was at Woodward and we were on the third story. I don't know why we we're up that high. And there's a little like airbag mattress below. She's like, is this going to hurt? I said, I, I don't know. Like, it depends on how you land. Are you good enough to land there? Like, so just teaching the kids at an early age, like understand what your abilities are. People that come to the house, for example, they either do everything with blind regard to consequences or they do nothing because they're in fear of not knowing. So if you can put together kind of this group of people, like we always have at Nitro Circus, where you got the R Willies, who's good on just about everything. And, um, you know, even if you look at um, Trevor Jacob, um, yeah. you know, snowboarder friend of you guys, he came out to the house and I was trying to, with Aussie roll, like a double cork tanner and snowboarding or two flips and one twist, somehow put it together, whatever you guys want to call it. Um, and I went out and the first time I went up and I couldn't get it to the airbag because just how the setup was, I wasn't willing to go that high and I was going to, I wasn't getting it around all the way. And I already had a couple broken ribs from earlier that week, but it was a great setup. And I was like, all right, let's go. So I came down the hill and I tried it and I bailed out the first time. Like I just got lost, got scared and I landed and I don't know if I want to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I, well, I hit, I didn't have a concussion. Um, but I closed my eyes briefly on the landing, and then when I opened them, all my friends were magically there, and someone pooped in my pants. <laughs> I, I, had, I, I still haven't found out who it is yet. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, that happened. And then uh, everyone's like, dude, you should go back. My wife's like, literally, you were given a half-million-dollar budget from Nitro Circus to make this movie. We're in $1.1 million of my money, <laughs> you know, that's what my wife is saying. Um, and now you're potentially going to go out to do something for free for nothing in your backyard where you might be paralyzed or killed. You already have poop in your pants. Like, just call it a day. Go, like, go, what are you doing? And Trevor Jacobs comes over to me and says, I think you got it. And everyone else was yelling, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I talked to I'm like, if anyone knows a double cork tan, it's going to be Trevor in the snowboard. Yeah. He goes, look, you just can't check. He goes, you checked the as soon as you spot that landing after your first rotation. He goes, it's, you don't have that much time. Yeah. He goes, you have to, wherever it is, you have to square up your shoulders. You have to go. He goes, I know you can do it. Can you do it? And I said, I can do it. He said, then stop fucking around because you're going to kill yourself if you half-ass this again. Sick. And I started my bike up with my poo pants and I went to the top of that hill and I stuck it. You greased that in poo I pants. Did, I did, greased is Greasy. a, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, he greased it. He greased it. Incredible. But it was because of Trevor Jacob seeing something. Trevor wasn't going to tell yeah. me to do it unless he saw, I, like, we're not going to tell someone to do something unless we believe that it can be done. But that doesn't mean that the person, so this has been a, a hard thing for me and kind of what Todd said, like, just because someone can do something doesn't mean they're mentally capable to do it. Um, and just because someone can't doesn't mean that they're not mentally strong enough to overcome the odds and, and make it happen on that one time. Maybe it's a one out of 100, but they're going to figure out a way to, to land on the wheels. And that's a Trevor moment. When Trevor gets in the air, like my cousin, we call him Special Greg, he always 
figured it out when everything was on the line and like he's going to get hurt. He just didn't get hurt because he figured out how to make the best of his worst scenario. So um, I'm learning when to encourage people, when not to, especially now with kids. Like I want to see them push through their fears when the worst case scenario is still okay. But when the worst case scenario is really bad, uh, like a lot of the the car stuff and the, the riding the motorcycle stuff and the jumps, my daughter, she's still, you know, she's nine. She doesn't understand because she hasn't been in that big crash. She doesn't, you know, when she's driving the Can-Am, I won't let her drive when there's other people around back. And she's like, dad, I'm fine. I'm like, but I see that you don't understand that if you don't know that there's someone not back on the track, you're still going to come around this corner at 50 miles an hour. Like that's just it's the risk to reward. It's the, the understanding. I, I mean, you guys have seen so much stuff happen. I've my, I'm way more of a, a sissy now when it comes down to people going, Oh, let me try that. And you look at them and you're like, I don't think you should do that. And I say that more often than everyone thinks I'm just this guy pushing people. But at the end of the day, I'm more of the safety guy going, okay, I believe you can do this <laughs> or I believe you shouldn't do this. We have a quote, calculate, risk for a living. You say that in one of your yes. kind of opening a documentary. And and that's just what this is, it sounds like to me, is you've there's just more calculation and understanding and experience to support these, you know, delivering motivation and offering it up to people. But I want to go back to the 130 foot jump because that speaks to this to me. If like you design that jump because you know those drivers can do it whether they're willing to or not and kind of push through that fear, there's kind of that mental and, but from a car standpoint, you've designed the jump so that it can just do it if you're on the throttle and you're straight and for the most part. Yeah. There's, there's always risk. And when you're racing scenarios, all of a sudden that jump that is fairly easy by yourself. I mean, the first jump is like, you know, is always really difficult. And then once you do it, you're like, okay, this is the speed. I got the feeling, but now we might be in the dust. We might be in the mud. We might get bumped on the way up to the takeoff or someone gets a flat tire and they cut you off or they, you know, racing is very, very difficult. And to be able to do these jumps with people that maybe haven't grown up in motocross or snowboarding or BMX or anything that's flown, you know, these guys are car racers and it's not the car racers of the seventies where you're going to start with 20 F1 drivers and two aren't going to make it through the year. Um, or the group B days in, in rally where, you know, the same thing. They call them the killer bees for, for a reason. Mm. But when everything in the world is going to, you know, restrictor plate races. And restrictor plate races are great. But, like, I got 11th at Daytona this year. And I'm not nearly as good at NASCAR, at rear-wheel drive, as anyone that I was racing. Just a little bit of dumb luck and the fact that they restricted how fast the top guys could go to make it a little bit safer. Now, that, it evens the playing field. So, Nitrocross, I want to take this sport and uneven the playing field. I want the better drivers, the ones willing to take those risks again, come out on top. And it's not for everybody. This sport is like, you know, we've had Kyle Busch jumped in and that guy's amazing. He got fourth in a nitro cross in his first ever race. Uh, Chase Elliott qualified for a final. I think he got ninth. Um, you know, Austin Cindric's been over. There's been a lot of kind of crossovers, a couple of IndyCar drivers, um, Connor Daly, uh, who led the most laps, Indy 500 uh, last year. I think he ended up uh, sixth or seventh the first round. So it, the drivers can do it, but it's a matter of when they go out there and they see the track and they say, I, I don't like why. And it's not for everyone. It's for the ones willing to push themselves and the ones that want more power. And they know what to do with. And it's in the driver's hands. Damn. That's insane. 
All right, we're going to take a break and talk to you guys about Bubs Naturals. Big news from Bubs. They got new branding on their collagen, on their all their products. How are you liking that branding, Jones? I think it looks good. They're always updating, keeping it fresh. It's clean. And I have been chugging the Bubs Natural Hydrator Dye. It's basically an electrolyte solution. You mix it in some water, shake it around, and mm-hmm. it just keeps you hydrated, which is nice. They also got uh, no artificial colors, no added sugars. It's made from nature, from all good stuff. And the thing I like is I drink about twice as much water because it actually tastes good. So uh, it's, it's good to stay hydrated out there. What else? Uh, what have you been on from the Bud, Bub's products, Jones? Man, from day one, the protein collagen. I mean, it's just a go-to for my bones, for my joints, uh, my skin. I feel better when I'm on it. So I just stay true to it, really. Coffee's a dope addition. Yeah, it just came Love up that Bub's Brew. And uh, Bub's is just a rad company in general. So if you want to support them, head on over to bubsnaturals.com and use promo code BOMBHOLE. Again, head on over to bubsnaturals.com, use promo code BOMBHOLE at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. All right, we got some big news coming at you from the BOMBHOLE. If you want that dome piece just flaming hot, you want that lid on fuego, we got some new hats for you. So we got the corduroy hat. Uh, new edition. We got the Corduroy Patreon members only hat. That's kind of a pure Fuego del Scorch, as they might say, at uh, Del Taco, one of my favorite hot sauces. Then we got the big, nice burgundy snowboard hat. And then we got uh, a couple dad hat styles. As you can see here, we got the staple hat. And then we got a new red and, and white trucker hat. And then the hat that I'm wearing on my head right now, I don't even know what it is, but it's flame. My head feels nice. If you're interested in keeping that lid fresh, whether you got a giant anchor dome or you got a small little pea head, we got something for you. Head on over to bombhole.com. Uh, thinking about all this stuff, you guys talking about risk analysis and, and all this. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting in a pretty good spot here. I've got Jeremy Jones to my right, who's, you know, been dragged through an avalanche, broke both of his legs in a crazy long road to recovery, and then obviously you've broken everything you can break. And I just am curious. We get messages all the time from our listeners, and they're always like, man, I just got hurt for the first time. Do you have any advice to help me get back from this injury? And I, from a guy who's been more injured than probably anybody on the planet, or you got to be up there. What, what advice do you got for people that just got smoked and they're trying to keep their head right to get back? Um, interestingly enough, this was never something that was an issue for me. Um, and I, I know it's kind of unrelatable for a lot of people They're like, Oh, I got an injury. How do I hesitation makes your worst fears come true. If you're scared to be on the bike or you're slow it down. Like if you're scared to hit a jump, don't hit the jump. Like anything that you're afraid of, like it's good to overcome it. But you, <laughs> the reason that I've been able to live this long, I think is because when you, when everything goes wrong, if you're scared, and I just honestly, I, I'm getting old. I was on the trampoline the other day, and this guy's bounced me like 35 feet in the air, and I was going to do a double flip, and I was over-rotating the double, and I sheer panicked. And I twisted a 180, and then I landed on my head, and I've never folded that much in my life. I was, didn't realize I was still that flexible, but it's because I panicked. Um, so when you overcome, when you're coming back from an injury, if you're that afraid to get hurt, you're probably going to panic, and you're probably going to get hurt again. And I... I that sounds horrible, um, mm-hmm. it's, but for me, I've never been scared, and like, or I've always been scared. Sorry, I've never been scared of 
an injury because I'm more afraid of not riding than I am of getting hurt. Like I love riding so much that I would <laughs> getting hurt doesn't the pain doesn't suck. It's just that I can't get on my dirt bike. I can't get in my car. I can't do what I love to do with the people I love to do it with. Man. That is so true. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, I, I mean, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking to two people yeah. that absolutely relates to because from us snowboarding, I always say like, you know, when you want to try a trick for us, we show up to a spot. We want to try a trick. And there's times where you don't try it and you're driving home and you're, that is actually worse than the trying it and you get bodied. Like the, the not Fire trying words. the trick actually is more agonizing than the, and that's kind of relatable in a way, right? You got that uh, 100%. Thing. Yeah. That, at every moment that I'm nervous dropping in, I said, would I regret the worst case scenario here more than I would regret going home and having not done this? Dude, the poopy pants 1080 double? <laughs> yeah. Straight up. That's that rename, scenario. Can we rename yeah. it that? Yeah. What'd you call it? The Australian twist? <laughs> Australian A scooter kid twist? made that up. I, don't, I, just, I like yeah. the poopy pants 1080 double, personally. Also, Could I get a half and half? By I'll the, get a twist cone. By the way, uh, <laughs> the soft serve twist 1080. Oh, man. Uh, you know, Trevor Jacob did submit a guest question, and it was in regards to exactly that question which you answered. But I think this is a good time to get into what we call... Run- oh, man, I, t- I took away the guest question. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Trevor. It's all good. He said some very kind things, and he's, uh, yeah, um, he's stoked. But we're going to get into a section of the show called Run Through a Wall. Welcome to Run Through a Wall Trivia. Where's all the smelling salt? There's about a hundred. May I ask what's in the smell? Is this like to wake you up from a concussion smelling salt? Run through walls full. Oh, wow. Okay. We're stocked up. So we'll give you a, Jones, give him a tutorial on how to do a smelling salt. So (laughs) I I think I've had this before when I passed out of the doctor's office one time. But Yeah, yeah, you for sure have. So I go thumb (laughs) underneath. I mean, hold it anyway. Fingers on the ends to pinch it. Crack it. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, Jones is a maniac. And see what you got. So, I don't of. think I want to. And he'll so, give you the rules. So here's here. the deal. So we're gonna go through. I got ten. Tri- I got ten. <laughs> that does not look. Try? That does not look entertaining. It, it, so so we got ten trivia questions. If you get the trivia question wrong, you got to do assault. Okay, that's how we run this show. What if, if so? What if you get all ten wrong? If you, then you got to do ten. Then salts. you're doing ten salts. So and the idea, <laughs> the idea, the idea here, Travis, is that if you. If you get it wrong, I'm asking the next question while you're still recovering from the salt. So, but I think I think you got some of these. Um, but let's see how you do. Yeah, I know you have at least one that that's going to be impossible. Yes. I don't like that you're still crying over there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I get a few more of those? Everyone, you get here. right. I'll hit one too. Okay. Whoops. Okay. Here we go. First question: Which one of these riders won a Supercross race in both 250 class and 125 class in the same season? Ezra Lusk, Jeremy McGrath, Kevin Windham, or Ricky Carmichael. Wait, hold up. It won a 250 and a 125. You count them down five seconds. Five. Well, no, wait, no, 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 hold up, hold up. Wait, wait. I was confused because <laughs> okay. which wait, because you can't run both in the same series. So what go again? Which of these riders won a supercross race in both? Oh, Kevin the, Windham. Sorry. That's correct. No. I know yeah. that was a uh, that was, he was okay. the only one I think. Who was, the, who was the closest uh sorry, who was Jeremy McGrath's closest championship rival for the 2000 Supercross season? Carmichael. Nope. Hold oh. on. Oh. Hold on. I get the. Okay, now hit it. It's uh, it's uh, David Villeman. David Villeman. I was gonna give you a four people person answer. Wait, no, but you're not. Uh, Who was Jeremy McGrath's uh, closest yeah, championship right. rival for 2000 Supercross? 
You can get it closer than that. Get in there. There we go. I don't want to. It's horrible. Yeah, Carmichael actually is 2000 season. He was on his face most of the time. Yes, 2001. Yep, Villaman. Okay, next question. Uh, Naval Support Facility Thermont in Maryland's Catechin Mountain Park is the official name of what presidential retreat? Five, four. four you don't do three, give me an option. Two, two one. one. All right, you got to smack another one. Camp, Camp David. Get, get, get it. You can go. I away. only got one. Here, oh, wait, no. Here, oh, yeah, you got a jar there. <laughs> Jug. <laughs> I hate you guys. <laughs> okay. Who was who was 2021 Nitro Cross champion? Five. Me. <laughs> okay. If you can't win your own series, I mean, who has the who has the most monster truck wins of all time? Five. Tom Mentz. Not Dennis Mar- Anderson. Mark Hall, Raminator. No. Twenty-five. Yeah. No. Wait. Wait. Monster Jam World Championships. I just said monster truck wins. Like That's what I googled. I, I That's just, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I'm not. I mean, I'm gonna do one. Okay, but like, I, seriously. Dude, Tom, is he Tom Metz or Dennis Anderson? You, you, you got to like, fact check this. this might, you know I, what? Yeah, I'll do one. I'll do one, no, for, I'll well, do one for, for the Hold, hold up. Can we? F- oh. 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 All right. I'm, I'm in there. Okay. Okay. I've, I'll, that might Am be I a, supposed to do it too? But I, he's no, wrong. No, you're he's clean. wrong. You're good. Okay. You're I don't even. actually know the answer to that. I, just I had Googled to do it. some ketchup, but I'm okay, good now. Okay, next question. Which former Supercross champ converted his talents over to GP motor motorcycle road racing? Jim Michelle Bell. Yes, Four. that's correct. You got to do one, wow. Jones. Okay, last question. What is the record for the longest wheelie on a motorcycle? Five. <laughs> Five four, four, really far. Three, <laughs> two, I was guessing I was supposed to get the rest one, right. One. Uh, let's go with 134 miles. 310 miles. <laughs> oh, that was mm. yes, though. All right. I'll take that's that's the last question. So good job on that. Why? Like. <laughs> We haven't done like the, du- the double yet. Yeah. We seen the two. Silk, you, Silk, you need a salt? Yeah, pass one over like, here. Is this Travis like I should have asked more questions? Am I going to fail my drug test? No, 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 no. So, so basically, want to toss me one more of those? Here's the deal, <laughs> Travis. We saw we saw hockey players <laughs> doing the run through wall salts on, and we just started doing them on air for really no reason. That so, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, run through a wall smelling uh, salts available at bombhole.com. Go Just got to gotta say that right there. Um, uh, all right, maybe we should get into... I, I feel like it's just, if someone were to just watch this, like the, the image of, of what's just going on right now is just not... That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine. Okay. We're doing It's all, everything's good here. They're organic. They're whole, they're farm, they're grass-fed. They're, they're grass-fed. grass-fed, actually. They're grass-fed. Gluten-free. They're gluten-free. Yeah. inside your nose. Just yeah, it there. like sticks on the walls. Yeah, uh, they're gluten hangs free. for a minute. <laughs> I didn't know this would be so emotional. Yeah. <laughs> we get deep. Mm-hmm. We get All right, deep. let's. You know, we got to talk about. You've been asked about it a million zillion times, but the the double back at X, dude. We got to get into that. I'm sorry. All let's, right. Let, tell tell us about that whole experience. You know, backstory that I could tell you that's probably not been told too much anyway is that. Um, I'm trying to get into rally. Ken Block just – we get rally into the X Games for the first time, 2006. Um, you know, Ken and I are doing the U.S. Championship. Somehow we talk um, rally legend, a hero, a god to some, if you will, um, Colin McRae, into coming over. Now, U.S. has always gotten our 
asses fully handed to us uh, against the the world rally guys. Um, but in the U.S., a lot of the reasons that we we suck so much is one because all of our great drivers go and to circle track and, and into NASCAR, which I swear they're probably the best drivers on the face of the earth because they're not only the best drivers, but they're getting that much seat time. They're, I don't know, lots, lots of lot of good stuff to say about the NASCAR guys. But um, so Ken Block and I are basically running the the U.S. championship. We got Tanner Faust. There's a couple uh, Lestage from Canada. There's there's some good North American drivers, but everyone thought that Kyle McRae would come over here and actually absolutely dominate. But he's now jumping into our cars that are like half the horsepower at the time of like a WRC car. So he's got to get used to that on like just a quick little shakedown. Um, and he's uh, you're using our notes. So it's computer generated. So you don't ever get to see the course. So the computer is not perfect. Uh, it has a lot of extra stuff that you don't need. And the faster you go, the more like over small crest, into small crest, over like it. There's just a lot of words that he wasn't used to hearing. So this all worked in our favor. And basically going all the stage rally was done and it's myself four tenths of a second behind Colin McRae going to the final super special stage. I've been hurt. I've been injured. I'm all I want to do is race cars. Ken block sitting third place for the first time. Like we're have a chance at podium. It's the two, you know, we're on the same team at that time, team DC team, uh, Subaru. And all of a sudden we got a chance of beating one of the greatest of all time on the national, a huge, you know, I mean, live on, on ESPN. So the final, so we did all the pre-race of rally the days leading up to X games. So they could kind of, they knew what storylines to build for the last three miles, super special stage, super special is like something that's just done, um, you know, in the Coliseum or in like, it was a table center, I guess that year. Um, So what was really neat about it was, this is all going on. And then in between the last stage and the super special, I have three other events. So I'm doing freestyle motocross. I'm doing uh, best trick and I'm doing supermoto. So we got all this stuff and I'm sitting third after the first round of best trick. And it's the first thing. So I basically, if I crash out that I've got nothing, I don't have a chance to beat Colin McRae. I don't have a chance to start my career in rally. I mean, it's kind of started, but like this would just podiuming, this X games would just set me up so much for the future. And everybody is telling me, just don't do it. Like what, who can, you got a medal already. Like who, who cares? And it was one of those things Would would I regret more this opportunity when I've been working so hard for, so it was a five-year trick in the making. And I was eight out of 10 in the phone pit. If I'd missed the snap a little bit, cause of just how it was set up now the the ramps are three times bigger. So you have just, it's like the, the half pipes, you know, Back in the in the days and snowboarding in the first years, like Olympics, it was a lot harder to get the height that you can get now on the you know the super pipes and that kind of stuff. So it was really difficult to get a double backflip around. Um, and like I said, eight for ten. So I'm rock. I rock paper scissors. I seriously do this with like one of my friends, Hubert, and like literally didn't know because everyone's telling me not to. Again, I feel like I'm in the only person in the world that everyone's like, "What are you doing?" Don't do it. Your life's good. Like, why are you, on earth are you risking everything for, you know? And so I rock, paper, scissors, and, and Hubert won. And he's like, winners win. We, we literally worked all of July, which is super hot in Maryland. And all my friends took off work to basically rotate through putting these hell days to get me out of this foam pit and to make it as easy as it could on me to learn this without getting too tired and too beat up. And they're fluffing the pit and they're, you know, 
getting hooking the the bike and pulling me out, and they they worked their butts off for a month. And he was like, "Get up there and go do it," because I know you can. I said, "All right, thank you." It's the only person that had my back there. My mom's crying. The reporters are asking her on the side. Like I walked by, and the reporter goes, "So your son could die today. How do you feel?" And my mom just starts bawling. I never wanted to like <laughs> just shake someone so hard in my life as that yeah. reporter. I'm like, "What? What are you do? You don't say that to a mom." But it all worked out, and it got everyone understood. And you know, you had uh, Chad Keggy and um, Kevin Robinson were actually holding hands on um, you know the half pipe, and they're getting ready to do. They're trying double flares for the first time right after this event. Something that no one really thinks about. Well, there's so much more going on at X Games at all times. You know, Sal Masekela is pretty much, he's jumping up and down. Everyone's on their feet. And uh, I dropped in, and I remember smiling. And I just thought, well, this is it. Like, you're going to do it. Let's go. And a really interesting thing, I took off, and my ramp was jacked up like two feet higher than anyone else's. And I was still probably like, I don't know, a good six feet from the, the lights that they had on the, on the roof. But as I was coming around on my second flip, and I thought I was under for my first one. So I'm like, I just don't, don't look at the land. You just keep going. And I see these lights that are, you know, roof height. If you're down here, that's a freaky thing to see. Cause now I'm blind coming in for the landing Dude. too. Just, and I'm like, oh, this is a horrible idea. <laughs> and it worked. It's good. Oh my God. Wow. I, yeah. Salema freaking out on that still is burned into my brain. I mean, losing his mind. I remember on air, just. Dude, going everyone, Tony, Tony Hawk, it was there. so emotional. Yeah. yeah, that was heavy. They had to wait to, to start the next event because everyone was still just on their feet. And some first guy to me was some random drunk guy from the stands, just taking selfies with his like wind up <laughs> camera. It was great. <laughs> the so, moments. So and, and then and then I'm still I, I'm this stuff. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, hands on. Got yeah. you going. Yeah. And then what about the other events? How'd the the rest of that go? Um, so I crashed in the first turn after getting the whole shot in Supermoto, uh, but I won the other two. So. <laughs> nice. That's good. <laughs> good, good, good. And at the end, of, so McRae would have won. Yeah. He was four tenths ahead starting, and he was probably opened up another half second in the mile and a half. Like, he's McRae's McRae. Um, but he landed a little sideways over the jump, which is why I was able to win the first Rallycross champion, or, you know, Nitro Cross championship is because the Europeans, when they come over, they're just not – they hit the jump – like it's its own thing, and you got to set up the corner before and the corner yep. after, and come in mm. sideways. That's and, that moto mentality. Oh yeah, that's motocross. Yeah. Break right off there. the takeoff, use yeah. the the throttle yeah. to bring the front end up. I mean, there's a when you figure the entire field is separated by seven tenths of a second. Mm -hmm. If I can make up three tenths on the jump, all of a sudden I go from a sixth place driver to a chance to win. You know, yeah. and that's becomes math for you almost. Just math. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> well, talking to Ken too, like you know, he was always he he's very proficient on a dirt bike really good and finding traction and like you said like you're you're setting up your insides and your outside you read it like a motocross track with the jumps as opposed to just something you got to get over you're thinking about where you're going to land go inside or whatever yeah it seems like the motocross translates really well in the rallies no it does and it's not a huge uh, and they're, they're they're all getting better but like scott speed i remember the moment when he realized because i was coming out of a corner and i was he would come out and get to the speed he needed for the jump set up in the middle land the jump and then take off racing. And I'd come out of the corner sideways, get like eight mile an hour faster before I slowed down and then set the car up in the air. So I was pulling like literally four car lengths from him. And then I would have a better line down the next straightaway. And he was watching the, kind of the overview and the data because that's what, you know, NASA, all the top drivers now, it's just yeah. it's data, 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 sim mm -hmm. racing, like all that stuff. And he's like, I never thought of it like this. He goes, I was just worried about not dying. Mm. He goes, but these jumps, he goes, I always thought they were so dumb. I'm like, oh, it's just a jump for the show. He's like, no, this is like, 
this is where a race could be won and lost. So mm-hmm. when the drivers start to understand that aspect and all of a sudden now you're Bubba scrubbing off of stuff like in the car, in the car. Yeah. Yes, well, you're, I'm sick. locked up on the brakes. Cause if the brakes, yeah. if you hit the brakes and then you let go of the brakes, the car comes up and actually like pops. Mm-hmm. So you're in the air longer, but if you stay on the brakes just until the front tires go off the top, now it rebounds forward like a scrub, but now mm-hmm. you got to be hard on the gas because now you're not going up. You're going almost down yep. and you give it gas, which accelerates you like almost down and then you keep the gas on and it, it levels out the, the car. Because it's rear wheel drive so the ass end all, drops All wheel down. drive. Oh, all so wheel. even yeah. with all wheel it, it makes the ass drop down? You ever played with an RC car? You make them do yeah. a flip yeah, yeah. monster truck? All oh, the same. yeah. Yeah. I always, yeah, because on a dirt bike it's that makes sense but it works for everything. That's cool. What's the braking off the lip though? Like you, are you, like punching the brake or is it just applying a little bit of brake off? Are you, are you like running on, both? So say you have to take off at a, a jump at a hundred miles. I'm just making random numbers up, but you, your takeoff speed's a hundred miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Well, if I could get up to 101 before that or 110 or 130, all of a sudden now I'm going 30 miles an hour faster. Even if it's only for a car length, yep. that's a car length gain, but I can't take off at 130. So I have to figure out how to slow it down. But if I slow it down too soon, a, I'm, it's like breaking too soon for a corner, and B, the suspension compresses and it rebounds. Too so quick, it, it yeah. well, which is fine. It just floats the the car, mm. which is another tenth or two tenths that you're losing in the air before you can get it back on the ground. So it's just, I mean, everything's mad. A tactic in the right scenario. That race, it's all ball bearings these days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the that's interesting. Like us, us as snowboarders, you know, we we. Uh, like the concept is, you know, a lot of times it's almost like go slow and pop. Like it's, it's like you just mm-hmm. want to make it to the landing, making the Free, landing freestyle motocross. Yeah. Of course, you want to get yeah. as much time in the air as possible. Exactly. And even me riding dirt bikes, I'm a C class, just mid pack train wreck out there. But I've been, um, I was riding with Vicky, who who's in yeah. just coming through town, and she was following me around. And I'm like, you got any pointers? She's like, yeah, you know, you you seem to like go slow and then gas it at the bottom of the face. So you should just take more speed and let off, like you're saying. And that's like for I think for snowboarders and and non motorsports people, it's a little bit of a different adjustment of like taking more speed and then almost pushing through it as opposed to just yeah. Do you want to look cool or do you want to go fast? There's two <laughs> different sports, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It yeah, is, yeah. You can do both though. Try to sometimes. Yeah. I can't scrub really well on dirt bikes. I'm. I'm it was before my uh, or after my time. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know scrubbing in a rally car was a thing. That's yeah. It's, that's sh- dope. Sh- it's it's not cl- classified. It's not yeah. a thing. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, all right. One thing I we got to talk about. Think I just keep thinking about your uh, Red Bull straight rhythm. Uh, were, you, were you on a five hundred two stroke? <laughs> yeah. That was fu- That's one of your career most fucked highlights. I think Is of all the- time. The end at the finish line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, well, the, the finish line backflip, broken wrist. I didn't break it. Yeah, I just you badly don't. sprained. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's fused. So well, you got zero <laughs> tranny on that, right? No, yeah, it's not not ideal. absolutely nothing. <laughs> well, because we normally hit the whoops, and I had a good whoop section. I was in, so I'm in fourth gear on a 500. Dude, that's like psycho. second <laughs> gear will go with the flat. I'm in fourth going across the whoops. So I go and I downshift once, and now I'm in third, but I'm like, should I try to downshift again? What if I da- go down too far? What if I hit neutral? And then I'm like on the brakes on the takeoff, and I thought, well, I can't backflip on the brakes. I'm going to just like be upside down. So I'm like, uh, pop. Like, uh, too much, too much, too much. Um, but yeah, it was cool. The next like five years later, I came back to do straight rhythm again, just in the 500 class. They like separated ourselves, uh, mm-hmm. which was was pretty cool race. And first lap of practice, I think it was, I think it was Roxon. I forget now, but he's like, don't be a, 
expletive here. Um, <laughs> he's like, do a flip the first lap. So I hadn't even been down the track. I'm still warming up. I don't even know if I'm going to make the jump. And there's this like vertical little hip jump. So I flipped it the first lap. And then I was like, well, I already flipped it. I might as well just flip it every single time. So I never, I flipped, even on my qualifying runs and both race runs, I flipped the stupid jump every time. Because I didn't lose much time doing it. I'm like, well, if I'm going to lose anyway, it'd be a lot cooler losing doing a flip. And if I win, so I won my first heat in the 500 um, with the flip. And I was like, this this looks way cooler than not flipping. So, yeah, that was great. <laughs> Looking cool and going fast. Yeah, ish, Doing going fast-ish. It was like two-tenths of a second. It was, it was marginal. Well, winning the race. Winning one, yeah. You had to win best two out of three, though, to move <laughs> on. <laughs> All right, we have a Patreon that supports our show, and uh, they send us questions to ask. And this one's from Sir Steezy. Now, he asks, what's the hardest thing you have ever backflipped? And also, what device have you still yet to backflip and want to? Great question. Those are a good questions. So the hardest thing I ever tried to backflip and almost decapitated myself was a, uh, a jersey barrier. I don't know, like the concrete things that go on the side of the road. We didn't do anything to it. I was like, because I, you know, kind of my dad, you'd be a man of your word. You're, you're only as good as your word. And I said out loud, I was like, I could backflip anything. And the next day, Hubert had brought a jersey barrier that he got from the construction site. And he's like, okay. Wait, no transition, just just straight. Just, just, just a jersey barrier. <laughs> and I hit it a couple times, and I'm like, I got enough distance. and But it has like that, you know, the, the block at the bottom that's like, kick, kick, you know, so you yeah. can't really. And I went like, my f- number plate came down on it. Like, so I almost used it as a spine oh my and my knees. And just then I head butted the bottom and my half my body's on once. Yeah, I can't backflip a jersey barrier. I noted, I, all right, look, I cannot backflip everything. You can't backflip a monster truck. I can't, but it can be done. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I probably could now. We just didn't know. It was it was one of those trial, you know. I was like, I think I have back to a monster truck. They said, okay. Feld was like, but if you can't, you have to design and race a supercross race. I was like, that doesn't sound like that bad of an idea. Uh, so what happened when you when you uh, went to commit to the backy on the monster truck? You right away you, you knew that wasn't coming around, right? I was pretty sure the whole time, but it was worth it, worth it go. <laughs> I was like, look, if it works for like an RC car, it's got to work for a truck. But it inspired, it wasn't three months after that was released that someone had done a backflip on a monster truck. Someone's like, ah, I see what he, so I tried to go forward like a gainer. And what they do with monster trucks is they just hit a wall and then a quarter pipe. Yeah. And then, but Tom Mentz, the winningest monster truck driver of all time, uh, Sorry. <laughs> he uh, he did a double flip, and he turned the wheel and kept the throttle on, and it did a double flare, and he landed in a wheelie going the other direction. So no two way. flips and a half twist in a monster truck. I've actually done That's that with an RC car, but I just it, I thought it was a little not going to work for him. <laughs> it worked great. I think he's only done it once, and he might have been concussed on the takeoff, and maybe he didn't turn on purpose or keep it wide open on purpose, but it was fantastic. Uh, so... He also oh, asked, second question. Yep. What? Um, so this was a fail with Andy Bell uh, back when we were filming uh, for the old Nitro Circus TV show. Uh, we tried to flip a full dress Harley, which hindsight we would have taken off like the fairings and at least the uh, <laughs> the windscreen while we did the test, and then maybe put it back on after so we knew we wouldn't kill ourselves. Um, hindsight is 2020, and as my dad says, well, you could have seen what was going to happen before that took off. So, um, and Andy was adamant that I go on the back. 
I'm not really sure what that says about him as, as a man as I'm like holding on. <laughs> and I, th- I think he thought he, like his weight was, because at the time he was heavier than I was, that his weight was going to pull, and there's no way to say that correctly now that I think about it, pull me off the bike. <laughs> so we went up and I was behind him because we realized that we didn't have enough weight or enough leverage to get this bike around. It was like 1,400 pounds. <laughs> Um, with just one person, because as far as I could get off the back, so we lowered the foot pegs on the back, and we're like, oh, this will work. And um, I pulled, and our timing was very different, and Andy flips differently than I flip, and we just, like, smacked our heads together, and then we went upside down, and I got buried at the bottom of this foam pit underneath a Harley that we couldn't Dude. figure out how to turn off, and I'm like, it's going to catch on fire, and I can't hear anything, and I got, like, a foot behind my head, and I was like, this was stupid. But I think with... Like we'll get another Harley, and because uh, I mean I, it's just something about that. It has to has to be like a like a. It can't just be like a like a road a sportster or something. It's got to be like a, a full dress, yeah, like yeah, you know, a bagger basically. Yeah, like a, a bagger, yeah. like but like a like even bigger, like a, a bagger that has like you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we'll start with a bagger. And go yeah, on. you know, speak, speaking speaking yeah. of of bikes, that's just the only thing that comes to mind is. One of the most iconic moments in the history of Pastrana Land is uh, Street Bike Tommy. Mm. Uh, missing that, the pit. <laughs> missing the dude. foam pit, dude. That was fucked. That is uh, rain's that horror that in my mind he for landed the last on, like, an excavator however many years. Or right? Insane. Luckily, he landed on, we had a bunch of plywood. I don't oh, know why. Okay. Nate Wessel was stacking plywood for something, building something else. And it had just enough give to keep him alive. Mm. But so I'll just tell you my perspective on that. Um, <laughs> so we had a, a competition, which later got called a Black Wednesday, um, <laughs> and we went out and we said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna put three thousand dollars for whoever comes back with the best footage." And about two weeks before this video, Street Bike Tommy, we didn't know Street Bike Tommy. He was at a party that Jim DeChamp was was hanging out, and Jim put in our Nitro, our first Nitro Circus DVD, and this drunk. Fat guy was talking crap in the back. Oh, I could do that. These guys are sissies. Jim's like, oh, well, come on out. It's $3,000 if you have the best footage. And street bike Tommy, he's not that he's a good street bike rider. We just didn't know who which Tommy it was. He was like, oh, the guy that missed the phone pit on the street bike. That's how his nickname got started. And he instantly became a you know friend of the group after he got out of the hospital. It was great. Um, but so he goes out. He didn't understand what Nitro is about. Like his version of what a good video was was – uh, probably the old whiskey movies, mm-hmm. like if you, yeah, yep. sure, snowboard yep. background, yeah. Um, so he gets a camera, mounts it on his motorcycle, flips off a cop, and wheelies down the freeway and outruns the police officer with a f- all fur motorcycle. He so Tommy, he's different walk of life than than we were. We're kind of you know at least started out like full like clean cut like American kid like this. We just loved doing what we. We love riding dirt bikes and bicycles and anything fun. So Tommy shows up, wanted by the cops already at this point, um, and he jumps in the foam pit, and he's like, I'm going to do a backflip. And he makes it like a foot into the foam pit, and the guy, his buddy goes, you could go twice as fast. So Tommy hits it, grabs a handful on the GSXR 1000, uh-huh. and first gear does 60 miles an hour, and he went from zero to 60 instantaneously, and he leans back to do a backflip. He still swears he was trying to front flip. I think he actually believes it at this point, but he's full of crap. Like, he was trying to backflip. But as he leaned back and he got all that weight and all that inertia goes into it, it full kicked him over the bars. And so I was doing a different stunt, and I was walking back down from the top of the hill where my where the house is, and over top of the shed, 
I see a street bike and a big dude on a street bike just <laughs> flying. And I was like, oh, that, it, nope, he's gone. And my dad, who was on the front side of the foam pit, calls 911. And he says, they said, what's your emergency? I wish we had this call on film. He says, um, somewhat, well, I think you can take your time, maybe send an ambulance, but they got to be dead. <laughs> No, shit, <laughs> you not. Dad's kind of just that. God. He just, he's like, I watched this guy fly that high. He's like, there's, and so he calls on his way back to see. He's like, nope, he's still moaning. Uh, yeah, definitely send a, actually, you should probably just send a helicopter. Like, well, we're going to send an amp. He's like, yeah, just maybe put that helicopter on standby. So my dad's, hey, Tommy, how you doing? He's like, bad. Well, you're alive. Oh, <laughs> dude. So everyone walks around and Tommy's just laying there and he had a, so I think he had tib fib, uh, like ACLPs. His whole knee, that bottom area, which you know all about, is, is was completely gone. And I think he had his wrist, um, some ribs, um, you know, internal stuff. But he was out of the hospital in like four days. So we gave him uh, gave him the three grand. Fair enough. <laughs> well, well deserved. Well I really deserved. want to spend time with your dad. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Careful what you ask for. <laughs> no, he's uh, he's actually mellowed out a lot in his last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's still in there. <laughs> I love the recurring theme of like what we call in snowboarding is like I call it the couch claim. It's like when we know we're going to a jump or a spot the next day, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go like you know front nine on that thing or whatever and then you get to it no no you can't in our group you can't say anything you just shut up until you're doing it yeah and or else you're or else you're doing it yeah or else you're doing it i like that i like that like uh yeah you you say it you do it it's a good good technique all right uh silk i think it could be a good time to get into some patreon questions what do we got yeah let's run it up uh first question from johan malkowski uh johan saying uh what are your thoughts on who would finish top three in moto with each of these dudes riding at their peak abilities. Jet, Bubba, Carmichael, McGrath, Dungy, Tomac. <laughs> Dungy. <and> you can tell he's not a moto fan. Dungy. No, it's all good. Um, so as far as fastest ever, um, you're looking at, at Jet and, and James Stewart. James was ahead of his time by, by a mile. Um, Dungy was more like the Carmichael. Um, they were both willing to do whatever it took. They were workhorses. They were the Jeff Stantons of their eras. Um, they weren't necessarily the fastest. Like Carmichael will tell you, like he wasn't as good of a rider as James, but he knew what it took. He had a little more experience uh, coming in. Um, and at the end of the day, like McGrath in Supercross was the first of an era. Like if you look at Supercross, like the um, the Doug Henrys and the Imigs and the guys that I was always looking up to kind of growing up, but you look back and you're like, holy cow, they wouldn't get top five in a B class. Now, and no offense, to the, like they're my heroes, but it's just it's like, um, you know, if you look at Roger DeCoster back in the, you know, the 70s and 80s, outdoor with those bikes, they were ripping. But the BMX that McGrath brought to Supercross changed an era. Um, but he didn't have to train as hard. He didn't have to practice, put in as much effort. He was just that much better at the technical skills. Uh, so to answer his question, um, I think. Today, like if we look at our top, like if you look at me at my best, I, I wasn't even nearly as good as the top 20 riders are now. Hmm. Um, but that's just, they start training earlier. Like I was still loving what I do. Like most of the riders that are on the top of their game now were burnt out before they were a teenager. Like every single day has been training. And, you know, Olympics has done a lot of that with kind of action sports as well, where 
um, it's a super great thing for our sports, but it's a very different culture. It's a different, you know, it's about winning and, and perfection as opposed to flow, style, and, and fun. Um, not to say that winning isn't fun, and that's it's just a different type of person that's going to do these type of things. So uh, for me, I think James Stewart was the best that I've ever ridden with. Um, but I'd also say Kevin Windham and Robbie Raynard uh, on their practice tracks without worrying about any pressure uh, could have, yeah, they could have held a candle to any anybody ever. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was yeah. a, that was a lot of information. But no, yeah, no, I, I, as a Moto fan, that was that was beautiful. I love that. And um, yeah, maybe hit hit another Patreon question while we're at it. Yeah, question number two. This one's from Cody Ferner. Hey Travis, with you being arguably the goat of FMX and your wife being one of the top female pro skaters. Would you rather have your daughters follow in your footsteps or your wife's? Mm-hmm. Also, did you hang out with Jeff Ox Cargola back in the day? He's my uncle. Oh, nice. The Oxecutioner. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone had a cool nickname great, back then. What a great yeah. nickname. No, man. Yeah, you got, uh, well, that was a trick that he came up with. It was Mad Mike Jones and the Flying the Hawaiian, Hawaiian, Clifford Adam Tante, yep. Cowboy Kenny Bartram, Ox the Oxecutioner. Like, that, everybody was so cool. Metal Militia taking over the world. Now it's just like, yeah. It's Bob. It's Bob. <laughs> um, so, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> uh, would your uh, Would you rather have your daughters follow in your ah, footsteps yeah. or your neither? Or your, neither. Neither. Um, I'd I'd rather them follow their passion and whatever that might be. Um, I would. I think skating is safer uh, than than dirt bikes. I would like to see them be able to be competent on a motorcycle. I want to take trips out to Utah and go mountain biking and and. Uh, you know, well, we're in Utah, sorry, or, you know, wherever in the world to, to have fun on two wheels, to have fun on four wheels. Um, I can't skate or board or do anything as you know, um, for, for shit. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I get to sit and watch and I don't really like the cold. My body, um, doesn't like cold weather. So I like drinking though. Um, you know, coffee, coffee, of course, <laughs> uh, lots of coffee. And, uh, yeah, if, uh, they took up snowboarding, I'd be a, one of those happy dads just hanging out drinking coffee amazing now you talked about uh you know landing the double backflip on your dirt bike and stuff and the other day you were showing me a video of your daughter doing her first double backflip on a trampoline now Mm. i'm not a dad so i don't really know you know jeremy can speak on this but what like what's cooler for you is it cooler watching your kids do rad stuff or is it cooler you going out and being a maniac yourself As Jeremy gets to show you, it's it's a uh, it's more scary um, watching your kids do it, and especially knowing, like when they do say, "Oh, I want to do this jump in a Can Am," or "Let's go ride dirt bikes," or whatever. You're, I just know all of the crashing that it's going to take to get to that level of competency, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, what do you think? Yeah, the same. Um, it's it's scarier. For sure to approach it but the reward for sure when they succeed at the thing is far better than anything i've ever done myself for sure watching like watching my son do a kickflip on a skateboard every time he does his it his flick is nice too he's got blast it's nice and it's and how old is he now he's just turned 17 and his flick is clean and it pops up to his foot and it's like all the things that i always wanted in my kickflip and i see it and he hates his kickflip, and I'm just like, dude, you like that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Every time you do it, mm-hmm. so rad. Yeah. So, well, yeah, what about for you? Yeah, for you. No, I mean, well, like, kids. like the, so the trampoline, for example. Yeah. 
Um, my daughter, it's a big trampoline. It's pretty soft, but we had some of the best, like one of the guys out there, he does nine flips on the trampoline. Like it's ridiculous. Um, so it's, it's not your general, like whatever. It's, it's like you go to Woodward and all of a sudden, you know, you have access to all these people that know how to flip and spin and that kind of stuff. And I realized there's a lot, you know, like there was an eight year old that actually came out and double backflipped uh, Connor Stitt on a BMX bike oh, yeah. over a huge gap. Like he backflipped it the first time because he was like, you know, as he straight jumps, some stuff that's too big, it's just, you get awkward. So this eight year old cranks down the hill. And so it's not even that they're the best at what they're doing or that they're like some superior, but as a parent to watch your kid overcome their fears. And for my daughter, who's, you know, eight years old, who's getting 12 feet in the air doing, trying double backflips and trusting the people and trusting the process around her and you know, having the people there to, to do it as safe as possible. But that first time she stuck it and landed on her feet without any support. And she, you know, I, maybe girls are different. Maybe, I don't know if I treat a son the same way, but she like had a tear and she came over and gave me a hug. And I just, I bawled. I didn't cry when I did double backflip. But actually I was like, yeah, that's cool. The daughter does a double backflip on a trampoline. And I'm like, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm getting old. Yeah, oh, that's, that's cool. No, I, I think that's appropriate. Fun, fun stuff. Well, you know, um, as a student of the game, um, I think it's a good time to get into Name That Video part. I'll play the intro real quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, name that video part is presented by Woodward. Uh, we've been talking about Woodward on the show a little bit. They got foam pits if you want to go learn a backflip on a scooter or a skateboard. Or I don't have to let you bring a tricycle in there, but uh, usually, got, yeah, usually, so. yeah. you know, you got parkour. You can jump around on trampolines. You can go in the winter. The snowboarding's incredible, just from learning all the way up to the biggest kickers you'll find, and even one of the only super pipes in North America. And then in the summer, you got mountain biking. You got sk- skateboarding, which huge. Im- fact in air conditioning inside mm. and uh yeah so pretty much it's it's kind of harboring the next generation of talent uh the next travis pastranos and mm. and all those people like that so only you, better yeah, yeah <laughs> but at cool five years old yeah exactly so if you're in utah check out woodward uh, up in park city it's a really cool facility and let's get into name that video mm. part so uh what's your confidence level here travis zero through ten that's 11. I think. 11. Wow, I'd love yes, to see that. Dude. I, don't, I don't know. I, I've been over, overconfident, underprepared is kind of how I've lived life. So mm. I missed the Villaman question earlier. That kind of <laughs> yep. stung, stings still. So kind of a ready, fire, aim kind of vibe, basically. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. All right, so here we go. This is a moto video. So here we go. Crusty one. That is correct. Ding, ding, ding. Con- congratulations. Too you easy. Wanna, what a bomb hole prize oh, pack. I thought I was going to have to do another one no. of those. No, you get to do three. Go. Here's, you get, here's you some go. smelling salts in there. There's some gear. You got some hats. You got whatever, you know. Uh, Thanks, guys. All kinds of good stuff. All right. Um, you know, you can you can give your kid a smelling salt before they do a double backflip on the trampoline. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just read the label. It said it's safe. Yeah. <laughs> also, the good thing is if, if you're in a situation where there's no doors, they will help you run through the wall in a, in a, if you get in a pinch, if you get in a pickle. 
So, uh, part two. You got to spell wall differently, like Red Bull spells wings now. <laughs> you know what we were thinking about doing is uh, ripping off the Red Bull logo and just doing run wall, like because it's like <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Then you put the through us small and you do like and you make a helmet and the whole nine. Anyway, I don't, uh, I don't know if I'd mess with their. Uh, yeah, they're they're pretty good on their. You their last just, long. Yeah, just put us out of business. Yeah. So for part two, name that video part. This isn't for you, Travis. This is for the listeners. Uh, and if you know the song, it's a snowboard song. Uh, comment on the photo of Travis when the episode comes out on Instagram. Here we go. Okay. Thank you guys for playing Name That Video Part. I think my snowboard knowledge stopped at uh, Creatures of Habit, maybe. Mm. I, I need to catch up. I don't know it. I don't even. I'm. That's over my head. So. Double Ozabo? Oh, I know Double Ozabo. Mm. All right. Just checking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> how old are you, Travis? I'm um, 39. 39. Okay, cool. Yeah, you, you were at a. I guess you were in the limelight at a young age, racing at pro at 15 and 16, right? Yeah. Been a, been a hell of a ride. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, I'd say. Well, I'd love to talk about. I think it would be cool to talk about the Ken Block connection here and, you know, I feel like he's been he's been a huge supporter of our show and and he's played such a huge role in action sports from snowboarding to skating to moto to to rally and you guys have shared like such a special so many special incredible feats good times families everything like that like what what role has Ken played in your life a, a lot of different roles actually um Ken, so Ken Block started um, I knew him as someone that rode dirt bikes. I knew him as kind of the founder of DC. Uh, he was friends with uh, kind of the guy that was my agent um, with uh, Steve Astafin. And ironically, our paths kind of crossed when um, I think it's 2003, 2004, um, I was Puma, which was my paying sponsor. And I was Alpine Star, which was the sponsor that made the best boots. And my ankles were crap because I always broke everything. Um, so when I started racing cars in 2003, Puma said, okay, you, you got to drop Alpine stars and we'll make boots. And I said, no, I'm going to stick to Alpine stars. And that was a week before X games. So basically most of my income was coming from Puma shoes. And I went up to Ken block and I said, Hey, Ken, any chance like DC would be interested in, you know, sponsor me. He said, well, I am the best redneck rally car driver in the world. And not that Ken's really a redneck, but he's like, I like every other redneck thinks that they're the best rally driver in the world. And he's like, just introduce me to your team. He goes, I want, I want to race rally. And I just got started to get into it. I said, done deal. And, uh, slapped a big old DC sticker on the, on the motorcycle and, uh, went out and we went to Tim O'Neill's rally school and Vermont sports car. Ken paid for his ride. I paid for all the crashes, which was a lot uh, of, of my, my ride. And uh, we slowly started building up U.S. Rally, and he got the rally into X Games. We became uh, teammates on Subaru uh, shortly after that. He won, actually, his first U.S. Rally win, like professional rally win, uh, he got before I got my first win. Uh, so he really adapted quickly, and he proved that he wasn't just you know some rich guy coming in. This is a guy that he loved moto. He loved skate. He loved snow. He loved competition. He loved driving cars. And it was something that everyone was pretty shocked with at first. And then he goes and he starts basically hiring. And so he sells DC, but still kind of runs DC. And he started hiring guys like um, 
you know, well, now McShay was one of the best uh, for, for coaching and David Higgins, um, you know, and even Colin McRae, who was, you know, legend we were talking about earlier. And he's spending almost all the money that he made on DC to become this rally driver. And he was trying to convince sponsors. He's like, oh, I just want to go have fun. I want to build the fastest car. I want to build something so cool and unique. And we're going to do like a, a video of just like skill, skill driving. And I remember everyone just like kind of like, ah, I don't really get it. And Greg Godfrey, like we had, he wanted us to put it in Nitro Circus, like the uh, DVD series. And Godfrey was like, ah, it's okay. It's our audiences, you know, they're motorcycles. It's, it's not going to relate. And then Jim Connor came out. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, wow, we really messed that up. Like <laughs> Ken nailed it. He knew what people wanted. But more than he knew what people wanted, he was great at selling fun and excitement and passion. And you know, even though he wasn't that guy that liked necessarily the limelight or anything, he loved fast cars. He loved racing. He loved competition. Uh, he loved challenging himself. He always did. Like Ken, who was always a stickler on like um, you know style and everything, he got a trainer that was like, "Hey, before every start, you got to like go skip and do jumping jacks." And Ken, you know, Mister DC, he's skipping down the road and everything, and he's got a mental trainer and a physical trainer. And everyone's like, "What's he doing?" And he was becoming arguably the greatest U.S. rally driver of all time. Mm. And changing a whole sport dynamic of how people looked at, everyone's like, oh, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Ken's like, no, do something really cool any day of the week and sell because it's awesome. And uh, he just took that money that he made, and all of a sudden, not only is he, he sold a company um, uh, with, with Way and everything, but he ran the company, and he was the highest, he had the highest selling uh, t-shirt and shoe hmm. on the company that he's also getting royalties. I'm like, you are a genius, sir. And then he basically decided to, he's like, look, Subaru is kind of everything in the sport. He goes, we need to bring in an outside sponsor, outside manufacturer. We need a rivalry. And he went to Ford strictly to bring in another manufacturer so that all of a sudden now they're, yeah. and he brought in up and coming kids and you know, everyone's like, oh, well, you know, Ken took the rides. I'm like, no, Ken built the sport. And he even built Drivers like me, he made me, like, put me on a pedestal. So then when he kicked my ass, that automatically put him on a pedestal without him building himself at all. Like, it was it was so smart. Like, he built everyone up, and he built the sport up, and he built this whole thing so he could have fun driving a car, doing what he loved to do. And it's, it's just – even more than that, though, I think for everyone that really knew Ken, like, he was kind of not closed off, but the people that he let into his group – he helped in so many ways and he brought so many people with him. I mean, it wasn't for him. It wasn't building himself. It was building all the like high tide flow ships. He built everyone around him so that the whole group could succeed. So special. Wow. And I know this is, this is a bit of a heavier note, but I, I think it's like, I think it's important to talk about and sometimes like losing friends and, and things like that. I think it also like desk is a great teacher about life in some ways. And, and I know you've lost a bunch of people around you and stuff. And do you have any kind of like life learning experiences from losing close ones? Uh, it's tough. I mean, growing up in a kind of a military family and, you know, we're right next to the Naval Academy and most of like my best friend became a Navy SEAL. And with that, the humor is different in how they take death. It's exponential to anything that I'll ever understand, um, you know, as someone that's a, a civilian, if you will. Um, so I've always been brought up, not callous to that, but I have never let fear 
of death run my life. Everyone says, with kids, how can you keep riding? How can you? I said, because I want to show them that you can work hard to achieve your goals. You can be whoever you, who you want to be. And I'm not going to stop doing what I love to do to try to be a better dad because I don't know that I would be a better dad if I wasn't doing what I love to do. Um, so sorry to bring that back around to myself, but it's one of those things where I see Ken's wife, um, you know, Lucy, and she is, she's keeping herself extremely busy, but she's surrounding herself with really great people. And she's still, she's chasing her dream. She's chasing her kids' dream. She's being the most supportive that she possibly can. And Nitro Cross this weekend, I mean, Leah, she won her first round, which is unheard of against some of the best drivers in the world. She was a little aggressive. She ended up getting disqualified. <laughs> yeah, it's controversial. Her, yeah, I was, I was impressed. Yeah. I didn't, I, I thought it was good. Rubbing Trace and Harry. Come on, yep. let's go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she's learning and she's jumping in and she has the confidence of Ken, maybe more mm. confidence than Ken ever had, to be honest. And she just expects wow. to be in there. And she, she is, she's a force to be reckoned with. And not just saying that, like she's a phenomenal, phenomenal driver. Um, and then, you know, you have, uh, you know, Kira and, and Micah, and they're both going to be driving the Can-Am class. Uh, Kira, she rolled it three times, I think, two times <laughs> at least uh, in practice. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But it's cool because they're all still in the, like, it's not like families you see go so many different ways. Um, you know, I lost uh, Eric Rohner as a, as a really great mm-hmm. friend. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been tough. Hanukkah's done a great job, but it's, you know, you see just the different aspects. And McConkie was their friend before them, um, who was, you know, in skiing that uh, was someone that I looked up to a lot. And, you know, they have the, you know, they kind of have each other now, the the families, but it's just so tough. So it's so cool to see that Lucy is just, you know, they bring up Ken all the time. It's not something that they're, they're makes them sad. It's something that makes them proud. Mm-hmm. And it's something that they're following not just Ken's dreams, but their dreams. And it just happens to be in the footsteps of what their dad did. And I think everything's, it, it's the toughest situation and no one can ever replace Ken as a friend, as a business person, as an entrepreneur, and definitely not as a father or husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's awesome. The strength of that family that I think all comes from, you know, Ken and the understanding that, you know, this can happen. Yeah. Wow. You, you know, Thinking about this stuff too, it's it's just wild to think, you know, we're all born, we're we're all kind of born like, and we're all in like a similar timeline, and then some people like you look at what Ken was able to accomplish in whatever fifty four whatever years it was, whatever you know, it's not like he had he had extra time time like he was able from a family man perspective, from a businessman perspective, and even like yourself, like I just think like it's so wild how some you know some people do. X amount with their life, and and some people are able to do so many more things in the same amount of fucking time. Like like how do you you're like somebody like yourself? I was looking at your career highlights. It's like seventy of the craziest fucking things, peak life experience. It's not like five or six. It's like it's just, it's endless. It's just <laughs> endless. And so how does somebody like yourself like just make such good use of their time while we're here on Earth? You know what I mean? Uh, life's a constant balance, and you know as you know as a father, it's every time you start doing one thing really well, you're, you're lacking in something else. And, um, you know, for me, it's just that constant, constantly striving to be the the best father that I can be and to be the best provider that I can be. And also to, you know, to try to keep moving forward. Every injury has led me like so many people say, Oh, it's career ending injury. 
Yeah, I had a lot of those, but I just kept <laughs> switching careers. <laughs> so, and I think that's like Ken, he was really smart and he was able to start a business, but he always wanted to be a racer. So he found, figured out a way. And most people aren't willing to invest in themselves. Mm. And Ken invested everything into himself. You know, and I've done the same. I invested everything that I made. I, I turned down a multi-million dollar contract in racing to go mess around and freestyle and start a circus, literally, and then put all that money into racing cars. Mm. And it succeeded because of people like Ken and everything. And then I tried NASCAR, and I suck at turning left. It was great. I had an awesome time. Got my butt whooped week in and week out. Spent every dime that I made. And then went back to the, the circus and having fun and building our own sport just to yeah, at the end of the day, to try to enjoy life and every second of life to the best you possibly can because you never know what tomorrow brings. Mm. Wise words, Travis. <laughs> words. Yeah, I don't know you, if they're no, wise. You're, they're true. You're <laughs> flowing true. like the salmon of the Capistrano, I'll tell you. <laughs> Dumb and dumber. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Always look that up. Is there, there salmon and Capistrano? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, go, Aspen. 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 Yeah, going back to uh, rally stuff, I was watching the Jim Connors and stuff. And, you know, we got the skate snowboard brain. And, you know, like we always want to do stuff first try, especially in powders, because you can see there's no tracks in the landing and stuff. I was thinking about that. Mm. You know, you like you I go off a jump too. and if you you see it's a, it's untouched powder and you're you do something spectacular and you land and there's no other tracks, you know, you did that first try. Is that the same mentality when you guys do Gymkhana? Because I see there's no tire marks on some of your guys' takes. That wasn't Ken's mentality. Um, it was always kind of my mentality, though. I. So here's what's tough. You usually have a road, and you have it shut down three times. If you crash the... So you've got four stunts a day. It takes to move that production crew, and everything has to be shut down at a certain time, like rain, shine, whatever, like stuff. If it gets pushed back, other stuff just gets dropped. Or you just move on from wherever you are. So we had, on our first shoot, we had fog. And with COVID, we didn't have any backup days. So if you ever crash the car, you lose at least the next stunt. And potentially that whole day, depending on how long it takes the crew. We had Vermont Sports Cars, amazing. And they were able to get the car back. I hit one jump way too fast over a bridge. And the car, the front clip folded. But we only lost, we lost one of the stunts we were trying to do. So it's really tough because you have to balance that okay, we have to do this three times anyway because we have to do one with no GoPros on the car, one with GoPros on the car, and one with drones following you. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get those three shots anyway. So whatever the best shot, that clean powder shot, is what you try on, on shot one. But you don't really know, especially when it's the high-speed drifting proximity shots, um, it's hard to judge exactly the first time. And if you, So if you're more than a foot off of the wall, it's a useless shot. They're like, that proximity sucks. Like, go do it again. Scott was always like, all right, do it again. I'm like, dude, I was six inches off. He's like, yeah, you were five inches too far. Like, come on, <laughs> let's make it happen. Um, so that's tough because you have cold tires the first time. You have great tires the second time. And usually by the third time, depending on how much it was, your tires are worn out. So you start losing grip again. So <laughs> it it's just hard to be – it's not like it's a racetrack or it's an environment. that you, You've got oil slicks that you don't see. Um, usually you get like 10 seconds to kind of walk it and you're like, ah, sure, I'll hit a third gear and we'll see what happens. Mm. Um, so Ken was always like, look, I'm more in for the shot than I am. I, I care that the shot's perfect. I don't care that I get it on the first take. Um, but I, I, likewise, Ken always sent it pretty hard on the first take anyway. <laughs> True. Yeah, some of those you're like, I, you're hopping curbs and stuff and just like, yeah, those are fun to, when you're like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was funny. Like one of the things that I did hop a curb on, so 
going around church circle downtown Annapolis. Like I, yeah. my car is pretty big. The Air Slayer was a big car and downtown Annapolis, although I always wanted to slide it when I was like 10 thinking of drifting like a go-kart, it's a little different drifting, you know, a 900 horsepower, huge winged car around. So I'm sliding this whole freaking corner. It's not church circle is not a circle. It's like tighter radius, wider radius. It was built back before they I could just measure a radius. Do a circle. <laughs> a circle. <laughs> so almost hit the inside, almost hit the outside, pitch it back. And I told Scott, Scott was like, I want you to pitch it back in opposite direction, reverse entry. And I want you to put one tire up on the, the handicap entrance, um, go up here, back it in about an inch from this pole, and then pop out on the other handicap entrance. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to take the wheel off. No way I can do that. But as it turned out, it was coming around and everything was perfect. And I set it up and I'm looking in my rear view mirror to try to time, like as I'm going backwards at 80 miles an hour around church circle and it pops up perfectly on the curb. Like I was like, no way could I do that twice. It was dumb luck. And, you know, a foot away from the uh, telephone pole in the back popped up. I was a little off of the curb on the entry, but it, it still a cool. And I was so pumped. And Scott, I was like, oh, well, you said you couldn't do it. So we focused on the other part of the turn where you came under this. So nobody got it. And then they shut down the, thank goodness, because I missed it the next time. I couldn't, I didn't set it up perfect. I didn't want to take off the whole tire. So and we didn't get a third shot. Dude. That was like one of those moments that you're like, I did the greatest thing that I've ever done on accident and nothing. And nobody got it. Uh, that damn. happens a lot though. It so. does. It does. Yeah. And then also thinking about the, like the rollovers and stuff, watching some of the footage, like the, the like the cog rally rollover. <laughs> That one's f like walk us through that shit, dude. The beat down, come yeah. on, like is that's are you, so punk rock. Are you alive? Are yeah. you alive? Yeah, <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> let, let me give you a little backstory on this. So please, I, <laughs> so I come in my first year rally, and I crash two cars. They're like hundred fifty thousand dollar cars. Subaru's like, yeah, that's not gonna work because the second first year I paid for them. And was pretty much out of money at the end of year one. Mm -hmm. And Subaru was like, okay, we got you. You added some value to the, the rally championship. But we don't care if you get 10th. We don't care if you get 20th. Just don't freaking crash the car, okay? Mm. And so this was like three rounds in. I got in like a, a fifth and like two-thirds. And I was like 10 seconds off the lead. And they go, okay, you're free. Take the, take the training wheels off. We believe in you. That was like a mile and a half into the first stage after they said that. And I got the training wheels put back on for the rest of the year. <laughs> also because as we're flipping, like we both, my co-driver and I thought we had stopped, like time slows down. And like, we both saw like his notes go like flying out the window that was broken. And then I like noticed my arm is just the centrifugal force. Everyone's like, why'd you put your arm out the window? I'm like, I didn't put it out. Like it's, it's like one of those, uh, those fair rides where you're just like locked against the wall. And I was like, yeah, trying to bring my arm back in before it got like you know cut off and then it got silent so i assumed that we were done i'm like are you alive and then i realized we had like two more rolls to go because we were just in the air and uh we came to a stop and i was like oh there's a hell of a ride and the like president of super north america i get like an email he's like is that what you think when you crash your cars <laughs> with a little smiley face i think it was okay oh my god clearly it's what you think <laughs> I was just happy we were. That yeah, was a great I'm, ride. That was fun. Uh, sorry, and we're alive. Sorry about the car. Yeah, it's fun times. Oh man, let's hit a Nate Wessel guest question. Yes, yeah. here we go. What's going on, Travis? <laughs> You're so inspirational to so many human beings, and this room tells a great story of all those great accomplishments that you have. 
But let's get real, man. As Jeremy Jones says, real recognizes real. And the reason I'm saying that is oh, no. you are a better person than you are in all these things that you've done. You've done more for me and more for so many other people than we could ever thank you. Where do you get that inspiration from? You know, what's, what's the story behind what pushed you to do all these great things and inspire so many humans? I think I already know, but let's tell the world. I love you, Travis, seriously, from the bottom of my heart. I always got your back in any and every way. Peace, brother. Dude, there is no better human on the face of the earth than Nate Wessel. I mean, he's always doing everything for everybody else. He went over, uh, they did Bikes Over Baghdad, where he just, he flew into all these uh, all these military bases where these guys and girls hadn't, like, they'd been over there 100 and some odd degrees every single day. And he just, him, Chad Keggy, like Nate would just go and just build whatever they had. And then he would spend all night just talking to all the troops and just, he's just one of those guys that is just a genuine, genuine human being. And... He's the guy that I go to every time there's something that everyone goes, that's impossible. And you think, mm, all right, I, I agree that we don't have the information currently or the technology to do this, but I call Nate. And, you know, Nate, like even we were joking, we were sitting around a bar one day and um, JT from Black Rifle goes, hey, uh, I was talking to a, a, a lady. And he's like, yeah, we were about to backflip a, a highly modified tractor. He's like, yeah, can you get on Nate, uh, have him uh, just uh, show that thing he mocked up? It's like three o'clock in the morning because <laughs> um, we're West Coast. He was East Coast. So call up or send a text to Nate. I'm like, hey, can you mock up something for like us in like the next half hour? So he wakes up middle of the night, you know, probably getting only two hours of sleep anyway, doing whatever project he's working, always nonstop. And he draws up something for us. And when he sent it back, like I'd almost forgot that we had asked. And I'm like, shit, this will work. Like mm. Nate wakes up in the middle of the night with a random joke request and figures out a way to flip a tractor and we still have to do it. I'm like, dude, this is work. <laughs> like he's a freaking, he's a, a mad scientist. He's a genius. So every time we have something that can't be done, you go to Nate and we sit together and we talk. It's like, you get those, those, the brain trusts of, of like the Trevor Jacobs and the, then the Nate Wessel just starts going off all this other stuff and all the hot wheels builds he's done. And, um, but to, to answer Nate's question there, um, it's, because the journey is what makes anything fun. It's not the tricks, it's not the championships, it's not the money. But when, for me, what I think I'm good at or what I enjoy doing the most is when someone says it can't be done to figure out how to do it. And if someone, like, to bring all the people that lift up a room and then, like, you know, when you're doing with, like, uh, Walter Reed or guys that, and girls that have like lost limbs and stuff and you can bring them out and bring them to be a part of that world even though their world's similar like to sh just show them that there are other people just as crazy doing just as stupid stuff for no apparent reason but when uh, like Marcus Luttrell lone survivor he said when you're in hell with your friends it's not hell it's where you want to be and I feel like Nate has done an amazing job of lifting up so many people to live their life to the best possible way that they could live it and you know even a lot of people that you get done doing what we love to do and you go from being on tour with 30 of the most creative and crazy and wild in all all spectrums of, of the, you know, from highly trained athletes to party animals. 
but there's always that inspiration and that passion. And when you get hurt or you can't do it, like you got like guys like Chad Keggy that, you know, he's still, he's doing great, but it's, it's, it's a tough transition going from, you know, making good money to travel the world with your best friends to being alone relatively and, and doing normal life stuff. Um, and Nate brings everybody around him up and it is such a pleasure and a privilege to know that human being. And it's definitely cool that we have what I call like, or what the world knows as Pastrana land. And we just bring in people that are, they're an eclectic crew of, of misfits and everyone just brings in more and more people that just lift each other up. Mm. Damn. That's really, you know, that it's, it's really interesting. I was listening to a podcast. I think I've brought it up on air before, but, uh, with, one of the founders of, I think it was like Skull Candy, who's made more money than anybody knows what to do with, and and he was saying, uh, like you know he's 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 got it all and whatever what what we would all dream to achieve in some way or another, right? The American dream, so to speak. And he's like, it simply put, I just like getting together with a group of people that I like working with and making something cool. And it's like, that's it. That's, it. that's all yeah. it is, right? It's like you guys get your energy together, you get inspired, you feed off each other. That, that, that's simply on a, on the fundamental level what you guys do. No, and everyone asks why. And I'm like, it's, I realize it's not worth it. I mean, you know, if you're looking at kind of the, the end goal, and it, it has, honestly, for, for myself, it's worked out. It's been amazing. I'm still, this train still keeps going. Wheels are falling off, but like, it's, it's, How's I'm 39 still yeah. as a kid, so it's good. But to, to kind of go back on that, I was 16 years old. My whole life was, you know, kind of that military upbringing, work hard, you know, um, win. And I, at 16, I became the youngest person who won the outdoor national championship. I won, represented the U.S., youngest person ever represent U.S., won the motocross of nations for the United States with Carmichael and Ryan Hughes. Um, like everything, I won the X Games that year, tried to backflip that year. Like everything was the best it's ever been. I accomplished almost every dream that I, I won Daytona Supercross, got to meet Evil Knievel, judging Hawaiian Tropic Contest, like at 16. <laughs> that was, I'm living the dream, oh, right? No. And it was the most lonely and the most sad that I've ever been in my entire life because, you know, on Christmas morning, I was training. I didn't go back home. You know, I went to, went to the Suzuki test track and I had acquaintances and I had teammates, but I didn't have any friends. And that was about the moment that I realized what I want to do and what I'm good at might not be exactly what I want to do and what I'm actually good at. I'm a showman and I want to mm. travel the world with my friends. So we started Nitro Circus. <laughs> and if you're passionate enough about something and you're doing it with people you like, even if it doesn't work, it still works. Right. It's, there, it's and there's perfect. something common that keeps coming up and it's, you know, it's this motivation that you take in a, such a positive way of, people saying no and that it can't be done. And I mean, that just keeps popping up in so many things. And, but then at each one of those checkpoints, there's also, and it's usually the one person, you know, whether whoever it is, but it's the person that's most invested in that kind of thought process with you, maybe that's heard it. And they're just like, but you can, you know, and, but you have to make that choice first. And I think that's really cool to point out and, if you feel like it, expand on it. But if not, we'll move on. But I just think that, that that's a common theme. And I think that motivation from that is super useful. If I wasn't surrounded, like if my parents, honestly, but uh, especially my dad, just because, um, you know, he was the motorcycles. And mom definitely 
helped and she was my training partner and you know she was a runner as well and and but she was more education and just like let's make sure that you set yourself up for your future um where my dad was like any day that you can do what you love just freaking Mm -hmm. i work construction i get i get up at five o'clock every morning to go do what i don't really like but at least i get to do with my brothers um you know kind of thing so uh to kind of expand on on that part though um being surrounded by the right people is the difference. If, if my dad hadn't surrounded us with people that were willing to believe in me, that supported me, I wouldn't have had a bike that I could have won a national championship, that I could have been noticed, that I could have gotten that, that ride, that he could have turned down <laughs> the money from, from the Fox. Um, you know, and if we didn't go out and, and make sure that high tide floats all ships that first year when I was hurt the next two, I don't think I would have had a ride. But there was those people that were like, no, these – like. Even if he's just a test rider, let's get him back on the team. We want to have him on the team. Um, and then, you know, you look at the double backflip. It was Hubert. You know, it was my buddy that had worked his ass off every single day, getting me in and out of that foam pit, having people take off work, making sure that the bike was dialed in. That was like, you got this. I know you do. It was the Trevor Jacob on the double backflip 360. It was, um, you know, it just the, it goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. It, Guy Cooper, you know, being there that actually – there's this freaking 10 year old or whatever, 11 year old kid that he doesn't know from Adam comes up to him and says, he's going to do something. And then guy actually was a man of his word and he went to watch, you know, like I feel like these people all through your life, I've been very, very fortunate to have that. And I think from my parents always surrounding yourself with people like Nate Wessel, with people that are passionate and that, that have a, that common goal are going to be the reason you're going to succeed or the reason that you're not going to, tr- if, if those people weren't around me, I wouldn't have tried those things that defined my life. Well, you cultivate that too. I would, you know, a lot of credit owed there to you for that. Cause that's the community. It's the ones you let in. It's the ones you speak to and trust and not anyone gets to be in that space. And so there's a lot to be said there, you know? I sit at the house. Everyone's like, "Oh, how lucky is it to get to, you know, hanging up a starland?" I'm like, "There's not a lot of hanging out. There's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those guys work their butts off yeah, for yeah, sure. But it's yeah. uh, that's what makes it fun, you know." Yeah. The, the other thing too, we just kind of want to go back and highlight too. I think going back when you're at the peak of your career in Supercross, Motocross, training on Christmas, and you are living the thing that you thought was the dream, that is like you're you've worked your whole life for. And you get there, and it's almost like you're at the top of the mountain, and you're like, like looking down, like guys, it's not up here. Like what you're, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you're the looking, pot of gold is not yeah, the yeah, end of the rainbow. Yeah, and I, and <laughs> I think sick. like for all of us, like that are like trying to get to the top of that mountain, it's it's you can hear it from a million people, but to hear it from somebody that's been on the top of the so-called <laughs> mountain with a pot of gold, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and hear you like, hey, it's not you know, it's not up here. It's actually about you know the friends and the relationships mm-hmm. and just. Enjoy, it doesn't even matter what you're doing. It's just enjoying doing it with people you like doing it with. And that's just like, that's just a powerful message. I love that. Lonely at the top, as they say. Yeah. The Dave Mira song in uh, Expendable Youth. Lonely at the top and whatever you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's all good. But it's fun to be at the top, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, straight up. <laughs> and if you hadn't, straight up. the grass is always greener, so it's good to check out the other side and then make sure that, you know, <laughs> you like it back where you started. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then you can eventually do like a uh, jump out of a plane with no parachute. And uh, oh, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. That's kind of pass or fail. It's my favorite kind of test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure you told the story, but I'm just going to kind of wind you up and let you go on that one again as well if you're down. 
so that was actually harder than I expected to get people to let me jump out of their airplane without a parachute. <laughs> um, so I found a lot of my really good friends there. So Eric Rohner was like, all right, I'm not good enough to catch you, but I know some people that are. And we call the Red Bull Air Force because they had a lot of the top, and it was Red Bull. And I uh, went all the way to like Dietrich, like the, you know, the president, the head honcho at Red Bull. And he's like, yeah, don't let this guy do that. He's like, I, it, we want to support, you know, they want to support me in whatever I did, but they're like, I, I just feel like he's going to die. <laughs> so like, so then they took away all of like our top people that were going to catch me. And then I was like in the U S everyone's like, Oh no, the pilot's going to lose their license, blah, blah. So we found a pilot that didn't have a license. Um, <laughs> that was like 16. And then we found a, a military guy, um, Plammer. He's a freaking awesome dude. Uh, he was a JTAC. And he's like, yeah, I don't really need a license for anything. Like, I just, they dropped me in overseas. It's fine. Um, and then Dude. we had a, so <laughs> then this guy, uh, um, MX was, uh, he just like motocross a lot. He's like, I'll film it. I'm not having anything to do with it, but like, we're, we're good. Um, and then a, another kid uh, who only had like 10 or 12 skydives, but he was a tunnel rat. So he's like, I don't really need my skydive license. I can just, just I just fly in tunnels. That's where I make my living. Um, so we got all these um, hodgepodge crew together. They're very good at what they do. They're, of course. They were amazing. Um, and we went and we did it. And uh, we went to Puerto Rico, which turns out is the territory of the U.S., which I should know because my family's from Puerto Rico. Um, <laughs> so I, I still lost my license for quite some time, paid a couple fines. And the, the USBA was great. They're like, look, you're an idiot. Like, we, we mean this with all due respect. You're not the first person to jump out of a plane without a parachute, but you're the first dumbass to post it on YouTube. <laughs> so, like, we have to do something because we have to make sure that no one else does this. And the pilot's in trouble. Who's the pilot? We're like, I don't know. <laughs> like, well, what was his license? Like, eh, definitely, definitely don't know that. <laughs> so, yeah, it worked out all right. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Yeah. How are the, how are the like, the nerves, right? like, before that, what was, how were you feeling before you just hopped out? Of that? It was a Matt Hoffman moment. And so let me go back to the beginning where I'm sitting at the edge of a, a cliff with uh, Matt Hoffman, the Condor, one mm. of the greatest X Games legends, action sports icons, my probably all time hero. If you're going to like break it down to one person and we're, and he's like way back from the cliff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Like I didn't have a parachute on. So like, we're looking at the Grand Canyon and the like, I feel like it was my wife and like all the, uh, like, the wives, the girlfriends, the moms are all just like hanging out at the edge of the cliff. And I'm like, dude, like that's kind of nuts. But like, why is the condor who loves flying? And he looked at me and he goes, I just like to jump. So I, I, I'm so nervous that when I get to the edge, I'm, I'm just not going to jump. And I'm like, wow, that's like, you're, you're nuts. Like, that is awesome. Like that's something I n never would have crossed my mind that like, I was afraid to get to the edge because I didn't want to fall off without a parachute. Like, He's afraid to get to the edge because he's like, this is going to be so fun. He's just going to jump before he puts his parachute on. Um, so when I jumped out of the plane with no parachute, I, I thought of the condor and thought, yeah, I am not nervous at all. This feels very natural, jumping out without a parachute. I had socks on and board shorts, so that makes sense. It kind of made me feel a little more comfortable. But, yeah, as I jumped out, I thought, I am more scared now that I'm not scared at this moment than I am that I'm actually doing the stunt. Like, I'm just – metaphorically speaking, like uh, the mindset that I wasn't nervous really freaked me out because all I thought about was Matt Hoffman. Mm. Love that guy though. He's still one of the, the greatest dudes on the face of the earth. You were so calm the way you just flip jumped out of that thing and started flying it. You can see the like evenness. There wasn't a stress in your system, but think about this in most trick stunts, 
jumps, whatever you want to call it. When you take off, 90% of your success rate is like you could already mm -hmm. be done at that point. Um, so you have to be spot on at that moment, at that distance, at that like I had 50 seconds before I impacted the ground. That gives me 30 seconds to mess around and 10 seconds for my buddies to catch me or, you know, 20 seconds to mess around, 20 seconds, whatever, you know, the case may be. Um, so I was like, this in my head is the safest thing that I could ever do mm. because we jumped out. We did one test run with, we, I had a parachute, they had a parachute. Um, I tried to get away. Like I tracked as hard as I could. I did two flips. I opened up, they got to me, they connected. I let go, like unhooked, tried to get away again. They got to me, they connected and then they opened the chute. And I was like, if I can try to get away from these guys and can do this twice, if I'm trying to catch them, like we got, this is, this is a no brainer. Mm. In my head, anyway, I was maybe I had too much faith in my friends. <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta have risk. a, you gotta have a, I mean, you gotta have a mental, crazy mental bandwidth to not think about the what, what ifs in that type of situation. You know, yeah. what, what about human error? But that's why you are who you are. <laughs> that's why nobody else is gonna do that shit. You know, and that was, that was fun. Well, it's a, everyone's like, you gonna do it again? Like, no. <laughs> why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Good but Johnny Utah did it. So how hard could it be? True. <laughs> True. Uh, Jones, you got some notes over there. You got anything you want to bring up? I mean, I think we're hitting it most. I'm, I, I was so trick focused, you know, I, the 360, I kind of want to get into that. Cause I think from a moto perspective that, I mean, I'm not a huge moto guy, but that seems insane. Even in comparison to a backflip, like the 360 seems everything wrong with that trick doesn't work if the motorcycle in my head at all. Yeah. Well, now you got Axel Hodges and the kind of that new school of BMXer taking it to a mountain bike, taking it to a pit bike. And they're really figuring out how to get the bike to take off um, without using the power to like dirt bikes. When a 360 started, it was more of a, a flip. Like my big thing was always we had to get the spin started somehow. So you'd start it with a flip and right away you'd basically use the bars like the, the gyro to turn down. So it was like a, you know, turn down back or back flip mm, or whatever, mm -hmm. or a, basically like a BMX, like a stylish 360. Um, but I, I never was satisfied with that. I always wanted to go flatter and flatter and flatter. And by the end I'd have it where I was hundred percent flat for the last 180. The only time I did a, like a perfect 360 was actually in the double backflip because I had the inertia yeah. of the first flip, and then I could take that inertia and spin it. It wasn't the most efficient way to do that trick, but I wasn't good at spins. Like I still have a hard time BMX 360. Like I, I just don't, I don't like it. Mm. <laughs> As I mean, you it were makes sense. Yeah. It just didn't work for me. But with that, all I had to do was flip as hard as I could, and then I twist as hard as I could, and then wherever I was when I got to the apex of the jump, I just center my square my shoulders up, and I knew how to flip really well. So I could just end it with a, you know, a half of a backflip basically. Um, and that was probably the best, like just right side up normal 360 that, that I've done. And it's because of the inertia that you could get from the, from the first flip to then transfer that into a spin. That makes sense. It's like, well, so for instance, a backflip 360 was extremely hard for me because a backflip, if you pull as hard as you can on a flip, you get one flip and one half spin just on the dirt bike. So you had to figure out how to pull as hard as you could on a spin, but only half as you could as hard as you could on a flip. And it was just the timing. It's always came in. I don't know if you ever had the trick that just 
you knew you could do it, but it, it just kept coming in. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's like, oh, it's perfect. But you're even wherever you land, you're like, I, I, ha- I can't ride out of this. Not right. Yeah. 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 And that was for me, that was that trick. So adding a flip actually helped it. Is that what you hurt your hip on? Did you hurt slam on one of those really bad? Backflip 360. Yep. That's, I had 40 fractures over my, just my, to my leg and my foot and just pretty much Jeez. powder. Cause that's how you'd come. That was the off. That's where you'd come around to almost most of the time. I could land, I could do backflip 270, knack knacks, backflip 270. Heel, I could do any trick and land every time in a backflip 270. Hmm. But it swung the it wrong way. Didn't come around to your way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like Deegan when he did his first ever, he called it a militia twist. Also, but that was when YouTube had just started. My friend uh, Chris Haynes, um, he put it. So I was doing it for like probably three months before X Games, and he put it on YouTube, which I didn't even know about at the time. It was like mm. you know two thousand one or whatever it was. And uh, Deegan saw it and learned it. And props to him. And in a month, he learned a trick, which was good. But no one knew he was learning it. And I got this trick that I'm going to win X Games with, and he goes out and since he qualifies uh, worse than I did, he went before me. And does probably the best 360 he's ever done. Mm. And he went off and he missed the landing. So he lands that basically that 270 off the side, hits the soft spot, and it stands him up perfectly. A crowd, I mean, LA Coliseum just goes nuts. And I'm like, my friend Jim comes in, he's like, dude, Deegan just did your trick. I think he named it something else too. I was like, damn it. I mean, it's a 360, but it's, yeah, that was cool. So, so speaking of YouTube, I know you're launching a new channel. Yeah, Channel One Nine Nine. I always, I always kind of laughed. I've never like everyone had like a publicist or people that were trying to get. I was always trying to do the opposite. I just want to do what I love to do with my friends. And um, I, everyone's like, "You got to say like and subscribe." You know, it's just going to really help us. I'm like, dude, if it's good enough, they're going to freaking like it. And if they want to subscribe, they'll freaking subscribe. Like <laughs> this is. I'm not saying that. Like whatever. But thanks for bringing it up. Like and subscribe. No, I'm totally joking. But um, no, like we started having so much fun. Like I said, when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was race Supercross. But I was with my friends doing fun stuff in the backyard. And we started filming Nitro Circus. And when I was racing Supercross, all I wanted to do was be back where I was with my friends and still having that passion, that motivation to, to build stuff. And now we have you know, an opportunity, especially with companies like Black Rifle, who are like, look, we don't really care about the racing. We just want to bring in veterans, first responders. Um, are you willing to kind of open up Pastrana Land? And I was like, yeah. Um, are you willing to like help us build this place out to the ultimate from every level, from kids on up, from pump tracks to beginner skaters to we're building a, a half pipe. My wife's stoked. She finally gets her half pipe. It's called the the She Shed. Um, it's going to be its own little uh, you know sub channel within the within the channel. And um, you know we got a, the world's biggest trampoline. We're doing we set some world records. Guy went forty eight feet above the top of the trampoline on a, a double bounce, and I backflipped underneath of them. And we're just doing all the stuff that we want to do as kids, but on a bigger level. And all the stuff with our best friends. So all the guys that are like, man, I love what I do, but I'm on the road 300 days a year. And I've got a kid or two kids or a wife. And like, man, I just want to do fun shit with my friends, but be able to actually enjoy it with my family. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to find a way to just kind of, we want to build old cars and go race lemons and bring, you know, whoever's, you know, pick a couple fans that maybe some fans that are talking crap, like, oh, I could do that. Bring them over. Let, let's see. 
you know, and we get good deal from Can-Am or whatever. We got an unlimited parts budget. Like, let's go have some fun, you know, and uh, and bring in people along the ride, some uh, some veterans and, and some cool stuff. So at the end of the day, it's an excuse for me to get home with friends and family, do everything we've been talking about this whole time and kind of bring it back to the roots. And like a lot of the stuff I have, like I've got five obligations to this sponsor to do this, five obligations, and they're all traveling. So it's, you know, it's 20 weekends of the year that I'm on the road. If I can have a channel that does well enough, we have enough fun that people like to watch it. All of a sudden I can take of those 20 weekends, I can do 15 of them home, Mm -hmm. you know, in the giveaways. And, you know, even, you know, it's really cool. Like when we go on tour for nitro uh, to bring the family around is, is awesome, but that's still like pick and choose your tours and then, you know, come home. And the cool part about being at an event is, you know, like the the foundations, like make a wish or boot campaign, you can really make some people's days. It's a pretty neat thing that they can come and they can meet the athletes, but we want to do that at home. Everything we're doing on the road, let's have fun at home. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, it's awesome. And then uh, just talking about the stuff that you got coming up, talking about these events. I know Nitro Cross Phoenix in November, and then back in Salt Lake in October. You guys are doing Maverick Center, so right? Yeah, so well, Nitro Cross, we're, we're here uh, this weekend, Yep, this um, week. yep. which is, is going to be awesome. We got just, that's the biggest, uh, biggest field we've ever had for the 1,000 horsepower cars, plus you know, everything from we're getting back to our roots and we're realizing that we got to have the top class, but there's got to be a way to get there. So the Van Prix is, is huge and the the class 11s and the Can-Ams and just trying to equalize the racing so that, you know, you can get in for less money than it would cost to race a, like a group E car. And if you're good enough, it's going to show because all the, all the vehicles are the same. So uh, that's going to be awesome this weekend, but then come in Maverick center. This is the first tour for nitro circus that I've been on since 2018. Um, you know, I, I love touring, but it's just with family, it's been tough. So, uh, we're homeschooling our kids this year. Uh, they still have cheers. So they're going to be gone, uh, every Sunday, Monday, and then sometimes for the events on the weekend, but, um, they're basically flying in and out and, uh, taking my whole tour fee to fly, fly my family, um, in and out to, because that's really what it's all about, you yeah. know, to, to have some fun and, and bring everyone along with us. That's fun. That's good stuff. We're excited to watch this weekend. It's going to be some carnage. We got a couple things left, though. Uh, we we do a little section called the pub beer crapshoot. So there's uh, grab two of those dice behind your head. I like it. And then you roll those dice. And if I can find my, uh, I, there's a list of things that you I, questions I ask depending on what it lands on. So roll both of those dice. Uh, no, you can throw it on the table. Just okay. roll them on the table. What do you land on? Oh, that was close. Seven. Seven. This is a great question. Uh, oh, also, you know, uh, pub beer's motto is cheap, fun beer. Um, so if you're looking to have a good time, pick up some cheap, fun beer. And pub beer's always a good choice. I like cheap, fun beer. It's a cheap, fun beer. So uh, the, the question number seven for number seven is, who is your favorite person to party with? Mm. Oh, see, it's a great question. <laughs> this could go so many different directions. Um. I'd, I'd honestly, I'd have to go street bike Tommy so long as he isn't just getting through a breakup because then he takes it to like 13 and that's like, that's 11's, 11's fun. Like you can, you take it to 11, but like he, sometimes he is next level for sure. Uh, street bike Tommy though. Street yeah. bike but Tommy. honestly, street bike Tommy when he's not drinking is probably the most fun. Like he, mm. he can, like he runs the room. As the sober man, that's an eleven right there. That's he's he's at a ten without drinking. <laughs> a ten without a drinking. few shots. Tommy like he doesn't just like to drink. He he likes to. I mean, 
Yeah, Tom, you never know what's going to happen with Tommy. You almost got to stay a little bit on the more sober side so you can kind of, yeah. It's, Keep it on the rails. A, oh, he's a, he's, a good, he's a good time. Yeah, Street Bike Tommy. That's my I favorite, like that. favorite guy to party one. with. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we have a, we like to kind of start to wrap things up with a section we call Hot Takes. So it's kind of like a rapid fire, uh, I guess, kind of quick quick answer question. And most of these pertain to snowboarding, so I'll have to adjust them. But uh, we like we'll do uh, we'll we'll do this kind of in more I guess maybe we could do motocross because I think that's maybe easier because the sport's got a maybe a bit of a richer history than rally I don't know if you're good with that but uh, we like to ask who in your opinion is the goat of we'll just say motocross we'll do motocross and rally for this one all right so well the the goat for motocross is Reed Carmichael he is the goat uh, you have uh, McGrath is the king. Um, mm. you know, I mean, that's like, it's literally his, his, his nickname is the goat. And then you had Roger DeCoster as the man, which I feel like that's probably the best nickname of, of any, it's not a nickname. It's just, it's a fact. Um, so yeah, I'd say Carmichael did two full seasons, outdoor national championship seasons where he never lost a moto. Like mm. that means not one bad start. That means through all the mud races, there's no mechanicals. That means you're so much better than everyone else that you have that much in reserve that you can make it through. Now, uh, Jet Lawrence is having a perfect season in his rookie year in the 450 class, which they might be changing the the, the GOAT to, to Jet if he can keep going. But Carmichael has more um, races that he's – well, he's got more races that he's won than he's lost. So you can count the number of races that he's lost like in about one-fifth of the amount of races that he's won, which is something that I don't even think anyone else – at McGrath and Supercross, Yes. But like as all over Supercross and Motocross, no one else is even at fifty percent, and Carmichael is literally like at eighty percent win ratio, which is it just blows your mind. Wow. Okay, and then for rally, who you got? Um, Sebastian Loeb uh, is the goat. I, I I really wish that he didn't change the entire sport to be road car like Carmichael. He came like he. Probably could have gone to the Olympics as a, as a gymnast, and he just came from a completely different background. He was very precise and very smooth, drove it like uh, he was very a tarmac specialist, and he figured out how to do rally without crashing. Like before that, Colin McRae would roll like three times in a race, and it would still get points. Mm. And then Loeb would win every round in the championship and not roll once. And you're like, wait, it just happened. Okay, um, so let's just say for freestyle. You're like, who are these people? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's important. It's what you do. Uh, so for and let's just say in terms of freestyle motocross, would you consider it an art form or a sport? Ah, I always said uh, freestyle. That you can never judge a winner and a loser in freestyle. Freestyle is the only sport, I guess, um, that all your competitors are sitting around rooting for you to win. Like that just doesn't happen. Like I don't really understand it. It's where you know it's it's changing. Um, as anything with money in the Olympics and everything coming in. I think guys like Sean White were the first of a breed that, you know, I know even P-Rod, like he started training with my moto trainer and he just paid the trainer for the rest of the year and was like, take the year off, I'm winning too much. Like, hmm. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't even understand what that means. Like, aren't Me you either. supposed to win everything? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, it's been, it's been good. Okay, and then uh, in motocross, who in your opinion is the most underrated? Uh, underrated currently or like all time? All time. Uh, Robbie Raynard. Okay. Who's got the best style on a dirt bike? Fa- Kevin, or- Kevin Windham, hands down. Okay. Who has the best whip? Uh, for their time, it was Guy Cooper, then uh, Kevin Windham, and um, 
now, shoot, it's got to be Barsha. Hmm. Uh, favorite moto video ever made? Trusty one. Okay. Favorite. So it's nice that you pulled that, that yeah. music out of that one. That's yeah. kind of the. It was kind of a setup, but yeah. I, I appreciate you. Uh, best <laughs> bike graphic ever. 1992 RM85 pink fluorescent. Ah, oh, it was awesome. Mm. Easy. You, you see the new uh, the re, the old release Yamahas they did at Washougal? Yeah, that was no, a, that was that was fantastic that was too. Fucking cool. Okay, um, all right. Uh, I guess most of these are snowboarding questions, but all right. So so we do. If you go heliboarding, three people in the world, just good times. But we'll just do it moto. You go motocrossing in like prime <laughs> conditions, chocolate cake, perfect flowy setup. Three people on the track. Who you riding with? Uh, dead or alive? <laughs> de- yeah, dead or no? Yeah, dead we'll or alive? De- all, all of it, all of the above. No, you can you can do celebrities that are you can do anybody. You know, one person invited Mike Tyson for reference. Just gonna say that, that. was a sick one. Actually, that's that's a that's pretty good. That was pretty g. Um, <laughs> no, if I could go riding with anybody, um, I think the first one would be Bob Hurricane Hannah, just because he he's always comes out and says how I'm the biggest waste of talent ever on a motorcycle. And I just, I just love to just, just be able to bang bars with Bob, Bob Hanna and try to knock him to the ground one time. You know, I mean, he's good older now, but you know, if we were the same age, maybe it'd be better. Uh, Rick Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, because Rick has the best stories and was always had just, oh, freaking Rick Johnson. Um, and, uh, you know, finally, probably Kevin Windham because, when everyone else was going out and doing laps, that guy was like jumping from some like little bump mm. over here, three lanes over, and you're always like watching out for Wyndham to be crisscrossing the track. <laughs> it's always so much fun. Mm-hmm. Fun stuff. Um, okay, and then the last question we got for hot takes is worst trend. What do you got? Where you know, I, so I've never dyed my hair. I've never like my dad probably would have would have kicked my ass. Um, I don't really know why, but like I think the worst trend was. In the 90s growing up, like everyone had bleach blonde hair. And I just like I love the mullet. I think the mullet, the especially with Yeah, silk silk's mullet's thank, looking thank good. Yeah, the, the the bullet. The bullet, yeah. The bullet is it's fantastic. We actually ran <laughs> something for people to come to Pastrana Land, uh, because Harry Bank had shaved his head into a bullet and then made everyone that anyway, we all shaved bowl cuts. Mullets. So we ran something and we had where you had to have the best like bow cut or bullet and we picked the top 10 to come to Pastrana land. Do you um, think I would have placed for that? Yeah. Yeah. How did you done? Throw the sunglasses I, on, throw the sunglasses on so you get the see. full experience here. How about now? hundred <laughs> percent. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. Dude, the, the, the nose ring and the, oh yeah, just, uh, yeah. I, I mean, haven't even seen the other entries. I'm, I'm saying number one, but you know, it was, it was funny of the people, like, cause a lot of them just cut it in just to come. And then it was also like their presentation on like some of the videos and the, the pictures that got sent in was amazing. And honestly, of that 10, we probably have six of them that still are regulars at Pastrana land that, that come over and work and, and they're, it's just, it's been awesome. So I have a very, very fond of the bullet for Thank sure. You. That's a, that's a big, that's a big accomplishment there, Silk. Yeah. I'm going to save that for later. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'd take that one, put it in your pocket. We and, could like uh, print out like uh, his quote and put it behind like Pastrana's yeah, let's fan. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. add it to the bathroom. Let's add it in the bathroom, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why cool. the bathroom? We have some motivational quotes in the okay. bathroom. Wall. Most mainly jokes. <laughs> uh, um, okay, and then uh, 
So lastly, you know, you know, we always ask snowboard setups, but uh, let's do a bike and rally car setup. What are you? What are you riding? What are you driving? You know, I feel like the better you are, the least it matters um, what your setup is. But I just got a new KTM 300 two-stroke because I still haven't graduated to like 2002 when everyone went four-strokes. Um, now everyone's going electric, and dude, these bikes are so sweet that they're starting with. But it's got a computer, like. I have a hard time ordering like a meal if I have to pull it up on my phone. Like I'm just, I'm still back in like the late nineties, early two thousands. Like, I don't know why I just, I like the, but maybe it's nostalgia. I like two strokes, mixing ass, mixing gas and kicking ass. And, yeah. uh, that came out totally wrong. <laughs> Mixing gas and hauling ass. <laughs> there you go. Or kicking ass. I like that. Uh, we could go out in the street and beat the shit out of somebody right now if we need to. You know what I mean? I'm down. I got some kicking ass. I got some oil and fuel we can mix together. We let's, can make that happen. Let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I guess we like to uh, ask what's next for TP. What do we got on the docket? It's been a wild ride. Uh, I've been trying to spend more and more time home, but we have an awesome opportunity. Uh, Dana White for Cheetah Brothers, um, they – Pretty much, they sold uh, you know UFC. They're still running. They're doing slap and a couple other things, but they're like, "Look, we want you to get Nitro back to where it was pre-COVID. We want to get these tours running. We want to do Nitro Cross. We want to build that to be, you know, like we'll probably never be a NASCAR, but you know what? We're going to be the most fun sport. We're going to have. Mm-hmm. It's going to be. You know, it's like UFC is not boxing per se, but it's." It's it's exciting. You go there and they have the show from the start to the end. They're like, look, we want you to bring out, be able to bring your kids, your wives, your whoever, to come out here and to have a good time for from the start of when you get there to the end and to be entertained. And we're willing to put the money in to back these athletes, to back the drivers, to back the skaters, to back the even the scooter riders and the, the moto guys. Like, let's build heroes. And for me, that's a really awesome opportunity to be able to give the next generation, if we can get this in the next, you know, two to five years to where it's sustainable and to where we can build heroes where it's not just relying on the names of the past, where these guys and girls are their own legends and then they can take it from there and take it from there. And, you know, it's cool seeing like the the demos, like Tony Hawk is still, he was competing in X Games and best trick. This and But it's cool to see that bridge the gap from 15 to 50 or shoot from literally 10 to 50. We had a 10 year old girl learning backflips and Carrie Hart does a backflip and crashes it. And he gets pink as a his rock star to, to marry him. You know, now there's, it's like the evolution so far, but this next couple of years with those guys backing us is going to be pretty cool. That is so rad. Wow. Well, um, and then lastly, we, we want to ask if you want to throw out any thank yous before we wrap this thing up. Dude, I'll just thank you guys for having me on. This is a, uh, I don't do a lot of podcasts. I, uh, because I talk a lot and I kill a lot of time. Uh, but uh, really an honor to come on here, and especially you know our friend Nate, uh, Nate Wessel is like, dude, if you have a chance, and then called up. I was like, yes, we're doing it. We're doing it. And especially because of the blocks, too. So thank you, everyone, for, uh, for allowing me to be on here. I know you guys don't usually talk too much on, on the stuff that I do, so thanks for changing your answers or your questions. No, it's been a blast. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say thank you so much for everything you've done for – action sports community as a whole it's been so fun to watch you you know the ride and everything and continue to do what you do and and just an inspiration as a human so thank you travis been fun and jeremy thanks for hosting silk thanks for killing it on the boards my pleasure and everybody that tunes in listens to the podcast supports we really really appreciate you guys you guys rule uh over and out from the bomb hole